The following program contains language and subject matter that you may consider unsuitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Let me down. believe in him verbal Keaton always said I don't believe in God but I'm afraid of him well I believe in God and the only thing that scares me is but I'm afraid of him well I believe in God and the only thing that scares me is but I'm afraid of him but I'm afraid of him you people understand the psychology of dealing with a highway traffic everybody to another exciting episode inside my head uh but welcome everybody to the show and i uh, wanted to uh let you guys know i just got off the phone a little while ago with a guest of mine who's going to be on the show in a couple weeks or really a week i think exactly his name is jason jackson he's coming to to the show here all the way from australia which is going to be awesome i just got off a half an hour conversation with this guy and uh, he's australia's number one michael jackson impersonator and uh, he's doing his own music now doing a huge production and it's going to be awesome having him on the show and uh, talking about michael and talking about his you know his love for michael jackson and what got him into actually becoming the australia's number one michael jackson impersonator and believe it or not the guy is doing his own music and i heard him so he's going to actually be with us later on tonight at 12 30 he's going to call in and do a spot with us also i had jim ames who from uh from i don't know if you guys heard the website but UFOheadquarters.com or UFOHQ.com. And he was going to be my first, or actually my second guest uh, tonight after Seth. He was going to come out here and speak for uh, to all of us for about an hour in ufology. Unfortunately, since I had to reschedule everything, and Seth is only available today because he's such a busy dude, that's kind of pushed him back to 1230, and that's the only time he's available. So, uh, Jim, if you're listening, please call in. We could do your, your hour you know, earlier than uh, they were scheduled to do it. I did send him an email, so hopefully he gets it. Hopefully he calls in and we can get him on the air here. It'll be awesome if we could do that because I am interested in speaking to the man. His website is awesome. 
it's uh, www.ufohq.com. I suggest everybody check it out if you're into ufology, if you like UFOs, if you like talking about UFOs, if you're into the paranormal or anything you know related to subjects that are slightly left of center, as Jesse would say from UFO Not Radio, then check out his website. It's a cool website, and he hopefully will be with us shortly tonight. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to, on a little break here. I'm going to try to get in contact with him and see if I can get him back on the phone uh, or I can get him on the phone and maybe get him on the show. If not, uh, we're just going to go and improv it tonight and freestyle it, as I like to call it. Uh, I'm going to play a quick track for you guys, and when, when we come back, we'll see what's up, and we'll, you know, we'll go from there. Uh, so just check this out. Let me get a good track out here. As everybody knows, I like playing a little bit of music in between my shows. Usually I play you know, underground artists or artists that are coming up and that a lot of people may not know about. And the reason I do that is to give them exposure. Obviously, if you're already making millions of dollars, you don't deserve uh, more exposure. You already had enough. So let's uh, check out a track here. I don't know if you guys have heard of Crooked Eye. He's a hip-hop artist, one of my favorite artists. Uh, this is a song called My Life. Uh, for you guys who don't like hip-hop, I'm sorry. You know, I, I try to mix it in with uh, every other genre. Today is hip-hop night, so we're going to put in Crooked Eye. My Life. Hey. That's the Jackal's head. Irrit life as a shorty shouldn't be so rough. Irrit life as a shorty shouldn't be so rough. Irrit life as a shorty shouldn't be so rough. Irrit life as a shorty shouldn't be so rough. Irrit life as a shorty shouldn't be so rough. Here's how it started out. One day my father's out and he never came back. Seven kids in my mama's house, so now we dramaed out. Money-wise, we caught a drought. Get that green paper by any means, now that's what I'm about. And here's another reason, it's not the summer season. Ain't no utility zone in my house, my little brother's freezing. How can I hustle sleeping? Late night through the cut, I'm creeping. I can hear that money breathing. I leave you busters leaking. Them streets was underhanded, too young to understand it. It made my nerves bad. Sucking as the youngest bandit, but I couldn't run a panic. I had to man up. I wanted to go to college, poverty fucked my plans up. Yeah. I wanted to be a scholar, how I end up in handcuffs. Every night my mama's crying, but I got to stand tough. Look at me, I'm waving pistols. Give me everything you got, I'm screaming. Fifteen and I'm on a mission. God help me get away from these demons. Wish we get past all the mysteries, wish we could solve the puzzle People don't understand me, I've got to help my family My focus is uncanny, what cards will the future hand me? Enemies wouldn't care to twist me, gunshots and they barely miss me When you're thugging out there it's risky, but the man upstairs is with me I lost so many homies, some even burned alive We all been part of this sick war before we learned to drive Only thing you hearing in both ears is that word survive Cause when you leave home with your chrome you wanna return alive what kind of person am I, growing up in this savage hood? Wish I was average, man, crooked is damaged goods. My past is not the best, it's bad and I confess. But I gotta make it since so many depend on my success. Yes, it's my life, man.
MicroDynasty.com, the only dynasty records website. medicine right here. This is my life, homie. You know what I'm talking about? Way more than music. Ghetto America. Ghetto motherfucking America. It's the life you gave me. It's my life, homie. Life as a shorty shouldn't be so rough. 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 Rough. Now, for those of you who don't know that artist, the guy's name is Crooked Eye. Uh, Crooked Eye goes back from, you know, I think 1998-99 when we first started coming up. He was actually on Death Row Records for a while, and like everybody else, the Shug Knight screwed over. Uh, he screwed over uh, Crooked Eye pretty bad, and his career has never uh, been able to uh, recoup since he, was, he worked with uh, Shug Knight and Death Row Records. But great rapper. He's underground. He's uh, putting out music. He's on Dynasty Records now. Awesome rapper. If you guys want to hear some real lyricism from the West Coast, if you're into hip-hop music or or he just turns gangster music or whatever. This guy does a little bit of everything. So check him out. Now, I wanted to make an announcement tonight because uh, some things have been popping off, and I have uh, Hood to Hood in the chat room. And uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed on the front page, I have Hood to Hood, Dustin Off the Crates as one of the banners on there. Uh, reason being is uh, I'm actually going to start working with Hood to Hood uh, to try to get, you know, more exposure, I guess, but not only that, to actually get, you know, come together with, with more of an urban flavor to the show. And, uh, you know, I'm going to help them out any way possible, and they're going to do the same. But if you want to call in, uh, to make yourself known, Hood to Hood, uh, by all means, give me a call. Yeah, we should, you should call in. I see you uh, sending me a, a, a private message there. Call in, make yourself known. Uh, but by the way, like I said, uh, you know they're going to have a lot of more exposure on my show in the near future, so it's going to be awesome working with these guys. Uh, so let's see if we can get them on the line here. You know the number? 347-205-9961. In case you don't know it, now you do. Again, 347 347- 205-9961. Now, of course, I'm going to try to get Jim on the line. If uh, Jim could come on the show earlier, it will be great. Uh, like I said, we were having a little problem with uh, with Seth Wheeler, who's supposed to be the first guest on tonight. He's going to be on later on tonight because of his scheduling conflict uh, with the convention he's doing. So as soon as I can get Jim on the phone, uh, he'll be the uh, first guest for the evening. If not, uh, I'm going to go ahead and have John substitute as the guest tonight. John, of course, was supposed to be my guest a little bit later on in the next couple in the next week or so. Uh, but we can have him on today. John is a great person to uh, listen to. He has a great story to tell. So if, uh, if Jim doesn't come through, John, you'll be able to take a spot today, and we'll reschedule Jim for later on if we have to. Uh, but, yeah, Hood, give me a call. I'm going to see if you're in, on the air here. Let me go ahead and uh, see if I can get you on the line. 617, is that you? Hey, yeah, what's up, Jackal, man? What's up, homie? Welcome to the hey, Jackal's man. Head. I just want to say to all the people out there, this is Hood to Hood Radio, big and up. Your show, because all I have to say, man, I'm just proud of you. That's all I can say, man. You know what I'm saying? Thank you, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. For all y'all that don't know, this is Hood Radio, and we are teaming up with your man, the Jackal. You know what I'm saying? And we're going to bring it to you live and direct every time. You know what I mean? Live, direct, and the truth every time. That's the most important part, the truth. There it is. There it is, man. I just want to, like I said before, um, you know, I've always been into, like, paranormal stuff. I've always been into, like, the uh, metaphysics and stuff like that. But I never had anybody to explain it to me. You know what I mean? And being, like, a youth in the inner city, a black youth in the inner city, you know, it's, like, real comforting to know that there's other brothers and sisters out there that that are into this type of um, um, these subject matters because mm-hmm. 
oftentimes it's like it's real ta- for people that don't know it's it's real taboo to even talk touch on subjects like this if you live in the inner city you know what I'm saying especially if you live in an urban area and you happen to be of one of the ethnic groups you know, you know what I mean am I making yep. sense you know so Perfect it's like um you know to hear you um like just to even see the another brother and when I say brother I I don't um you know when I say brothers I mean all people you know what I'm saying all people but specifically, you know, those um, who are of the ethnic, you know, background. Right, minorities. Minority. I don't like to say as, that as word. They, as they call us, because in, in all honesty, in America, the minority actually now is the majority. So. True indeed. True indeed. Yeah, funny enough. It is. It's but, crazy, right? I mean, it is. Like I but, said, I don't, I don't really like those titles, man, but what I'm trying to say, and I'm trying to express something, is that it's real comforting to know that a person like me, is into something like this because a lot of times, you know, a lot of people who like, let's say for instance, you know, you all these people who see UFOs and stuff like that, and you know, they don't want to tell people because they feel like as if you know people are going to judge them and people are going to look down upon them and you know they might call them crazy and stuff like that. It's even worse if you're in like our predicament. If you understand what I'm saying, me and yeah. you know minorities in the inner city, you know what I'm saying? It's like you're really crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? You might as well not even talk to us again. As a matter of fact, we're going to kick you out of our crew. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, definitely. No, and, and you can imagine. I mean, we already have a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, to overcome as it is as minorities. So right. imagine now putting the label of, uh, of Coop next to us because we're, we're looking at UFOs exactly. or, or whatever. Yeah. I don't even think it's a stereotype to say, like, you know, the, the you know, I don't know, man. It's like almost like we're supposed to be tougher than what we are. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like yep. we're supposed to be like extra tough and all this crazy. No, 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 no. The, the fact is, we, as much as everybody else, we also have experienced paranormal situations. We've also we're also spiritual. I don't mean spiritual as far as religion, because they just look at us as far as religion is concerned. I'm saying spiritual people as far as dealing with the different, the higher vibrations. I should say, you know what mm-hmm. I mean. But yep. we never, we're never recognized for that. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's almost been, it's it's like almost erased from our culture. Like, don't let me bring up Santeria or Voodoo, then everybody goes, oh my God, even us, and that's <laughs> our culture. Yeah, you hear what I'm saying, brother? No, the funny thing is, you know, a lot of people think that only, uh, you know, country boys from like, you know, Minnesota or country boys from Oklahoma see UFOs. That's not the case, right. man. A lot of people worldwide see UFOs. And it's not only the country boys that you know they get abducted either. People are getting abducted left and right, worldwide. I mean, it's happening everywhere. Even in the hood, people are getting abducted. You know, these right. things are happening to everybody. And it's important to get the message across across the board to everybody that hey, something's right. going on. Uh, we need right, to man. investigate this because this is the most important, uh, you know, subject matter in our in our culture and in our in our history. I mean, nothing's more important than the fact that you know, are we alone? If we can answer right. that question, that you know, that answers the question. That is the question for mankind. And it's right. great to see, you know, you know, shows like yours, Switch Hood Radio, not joining forces with my show, to be right. able to, to get the message across to a larger population, a larger crowd. That's awesome. You know, that's what I want to see in the future as you know, as a person in this subject. I want that's to see more people, more minorities. That's we have. I mean, we have to get into this, man. You know, I've been with the brothers yeah. and sisters all day, man. And I don't care. I'm at the point right now. You know what I'm saying? This is like some recent stuff for me. I say about within the last two years that I, don't, I really don't care what people think about me now because it's about spreading the message right now. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, I've yeah. sacrificed a lot of friendships for like um, just being outspoken about my um, experiences. You know what I mean? 
But I'm, I'm willing to take that sacrifice because I think people really need to know what's going on out there, and they really need to know that there's, you know, our perception is very limited as far as what we can perceive. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, we gotta we gotta get off that television and start yeah. building again. We have to start building again, and that's why I think it's gonna be real dope the fact that our two radio stations are linking up like this. You know what I mean? Oh, I, I, I'm all for it, man. I love it already, and I think it's a great idea. I think it's going to be good for for ufology. I think it's going to be good for you know for everybody yeah. involved. If, the more people we can link up, man, the more people that can get the message out to the people. I think it's right. it's a wonderful thing. That's so right. I mean, this is what we're trying to do. Uh, you know, let me ask you a question. Since we're on the subject, have you yourself have have you ever seen a UFO yourself? All right. Now I know this is going to sound crazy. It's probably going to sound like like I just came up with this. Thing. Yes. Okay. No, I saw, that doesn't sound crazy because I've seen two UFOs in my life, so I mean that does oh, not sound crazy. The, the, the fact that you said two, the fact that you just said two, all right. I say what was it? Two weeks ago we had a show, right? And there was a uh-huh. brother on our show. His name is um, it's it, it, um, his, his his he's Malachi Z York's son. You know, you're familiar with Malachi Z York, right? Oh yes, I, I've been reading about Doctor York for years. Right. Yes. Doctor York's son had actually called into our show, right? And anyway, as he called in, he said, you know, we got to stop looking down and start looking up into the sky. We have to start looking up. Instead of looking at our iPods and being, like, conditioned by these, like, gadgets that we have, you know, walking around like zombies, start looking up because everyone's looking mm-hmm. down right now. Okay. Yep. That was the point he was making on the show. Um, we actually linked up later on that night, and I told him about my recent paranormal experience. And I don't even call it paranormal. No, no. I'm saying my recent experience me seeing a UFO. He was talking about this, and I said, you know, it's funny that you mentioned this, because he came over here, he actually linked up with me that night, and he was over here talking about it, and he was, like, you know, talking about what he saw in the sky as he was on his approach to the house. And I was telling him what I saw previously, like a week before that, the um, UFO that I saw. And as soon as it was there, it disappeared. Now, the same area that I was in, when I saw this UFO, I saw it again, but it looked different. The first time that I saw it, it looked like a, um, like it was lit up. You know, it was like um, a color. And this is, I say this is about, let me see, about, uh, I say almost exactly 6.15 in the morning. And the reason why oh, wow. I noticed I work on, on a subway train. So I'm going by on the train, and I look up into the sky, and I see the first one. Now, the first one looked lit up. It looked like, um, you know, light. But it was a um, shape, you know, it was like a, like a ball in the sky. The second time I went around, and this was recent, and it's funny that you say this, man. This is recent. It was about, and I say this, um, it had to be like four days ago, five days ago. I saw the same object, but this time it was a metallic color. Okay. And then as soon as it was there, it disappeared again. And I'm looking around, pe- I'm looking around for people like, like, y'all don't see this? You don't see it, you know what I mean, but... You think it might yeah. be the fact that it recognized that you were looking at it that it disappeared, or... You think it was I don't just know. Pointed? I don't know if it's... It kind of seemed like it knew, yeah, it did know. It did know. Excuse me, hold on, hold on. We're having a little <laughs> crisis right here, man. Oh, boy. Real quick. All right. It's over. It's over. Anyway, yeah, it kind of seemed like... Because at the same time, it disappeared. The same time it... Di- I mean, excuse me. The first time it disappeared, it disappeared almost at the same time, and I was in the same position when it disappeared. Oh, wow. Now, I don't know if I'm, um, 
I don't know, like attracting this thing. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? But the thing is, is that it's true. You know, it's almost like it knew like my it knew of my presence. It was aware of my presence. Well, let me ask you: Have you have you ever, ever had any dreams? What dreams? Have you had any dreams I, like that you were being abducted or or an abduction scenario uh, ever crossed your mind that you might have been abducted? Maybe they're they are you know knowing you were looking at it, maybe they are following you. I don't know, but I I mean I I I I, I, I astral project, so you know I've never had an experience like that, but I haven't had an experience where I was um you know I actually actually astral projected to another galaxy, onto another planet, and there was life form, you know what I'm saying? And when I did my astral projection, what I do when I astral, when I come out and I'm, out, I'm able to be out long enough to focus, I will uh-huh. like, um, I'll just say like three times. I'll say three times my, the destination that I want to go to. What, what I said that night was, um, I said, I want to see life on a, in another galaxy on another planet. And I said that three times. And I actually got astral projected to this planet. But... I didn't see any crafts or nothing like that, so I can't say that. As far as dreams are concerned, I haven't had any dreams of being abducted, although my wife has. She's okay. actually had astral experiences when she was abducted in, in the astral realm. Now, how long have you been astral projecting? How long have you been doing this? Because that's a very hard skill to learn. I'm into remote viewing. I haven't done it myself, but I've read a lot of work on remote viewing and Major Aid Danes and a lot of the right. work that, that's done out by the government. When did you start doing astral projection? Because and, and, it's kind of a, the same thing as remote viewing in a sense. It's, it's, it's similar, man. I mean, as far as what I know about remote viewing, and I did some experience with, um, with remote viewing, and I was kind of successful, you know, it's kind of different because it's like you're, you're – I don't – I mean, I don't know the science behind it, but when I'm astral projecting, it's almost like I'm, I'm, I'm there. As far as remote viewing, it's almost like you're viewing something. You see, you right, you're just like seeing it. Imagery. Yeah, right. It's similar. Because the remote viewing thing, it's funny. When I go into my astral projections, you know, right before, right before I go into them, I get this vivid imagery. And that's kind of similar to the um, remote viewing thing. As far as me, um, how, I mean, I've been into, I mean, let me see, how many years? Hold on, I got that, I got that. How many, when was Somerville? Somerville. Like 17 years I've been astroing now. Oh, wow. So basically, um, and it was like, it was, I stumbled into it, put it like that. I stumbled into it. You know, I went on the way, the first day I astral projected, it was real weird. I went on the AIDS walk, you know, and it was like one of the hottest days out the summer. I mean, I didn't want to be out there. I'm going to keep it real. I didn't want to be out there, but it was a good cause. So I went with my wife on this AIDS walk, her and her aunt. We went halfway through the AIDS walk. I felt like I was going to pass out, you know what I'm saying, because it was so hot out there. And I, I realized, I thought I was finished, but it was actually just the halfway point. So I'm like, oh, man, I got to go another however long I have to go. So we did it. I'm dead tired. My wife wanted to go get ice cream. You know, they asked me did I want to come. I said, no, I don't want to come. I'm going home. I'm going to sleep. So I went home. When I laid in the bed, I closed my eyes. And the first thing that I saw was three spheres. I, I seen a, a blue sphere, a yellow one, and a red one. Just three balls, like, in the middle of the sky, dark sky. Then behind that, I saw, um, like, just stars and stuff. And then the three spheres, um, they, they all, they, two of them disappeared, and one um, stayed there, and it turned into the earth. Now, when I saw this, right, I, I opened my eyes. I'm like, what the, and I'm, I'm dead awake. I'm, I'm dead ass awake. I'm, I'm not stupid. I'm not crazy. I know I'm wide awake. You know what I'm saying? I just have my eyes closed. When I opened right, my right. eyes, 
I was like, you know, I was I was scared to death. I'm like, yo, I haven't done any drugs. You know what I'm saying? I don't do <laughs> drugs. You know, I see, literally, I had a question like, what, did somebody slip me a Mickey or, you know, I don't know, man. You know what I mean? No, that would be the question I would ask myself. Yeah, if somebody slipped me something. What am I seeing? Like, you know, that was too real. That was too real. Yep. And I remember something that my aunt told me a long time ago. She said, whenever you have, like, an experience like that to go along with it, don't be scared of it. So I said, okay, cool. I actually went along with it that day. You know, I, I closed my eyes again. And this time I could see through my eyelids and I could see my room around me. And I could, Ooh. like, turn my head and I could see stuff in my room. Then I would open my eyes and I would check, like, was that shoebox really over there in the corner? And it was really there. From that day on... That's when my astral experiences started. Like I said, I stumbled into it. I had another experience when I came home from work, and um, I had an astral experience. I came out of my body. I'm not going to make, you know, I'm not going to get deep into it. And I went through um, uh, a, um, a door, and I saw my cousins down the street listening to 80s music in their car. I know it sounds crazy. They're in their car reminiscing, reminiscing, listening to, like, 80s music, Duran Duran, stuff like that. You know what I mean? Okay. So I went up to him, and I said, hey, do you see me? Hey, what's going on? Because I knew what I was doing, because I saw my body and everything. I'm like, this is an out-of-body experience. I wasn't scared. This is, like, one of my first experiences. I said, hey, do you see me? They didn't see me. You know, they was like, you know, just gigging or whatever. So I went back, and mind you, before this happened, when I came home, they weren't out there. So I snapped back into my body. Um, I went outside, and they were actually there when I went outside. I'm like, if they're going to be there, I know this is real, and I know what I'm doing now. You in the know, same position and everything you saw them in. Same position, everything, and I asked them, did you see me? And they looked at me like I was crazy, and I just walked my way to work. I went to work. I'm like, I'm not even going to deal with this. And it's real <laughs> funny. I don't know if people out there know, when you start getting into metaphysics and stuff like this, man, that real deep stuff, man, things just start falling in your lap. So it's funny we talked about Malachi the York. I'm, I'm sitting there one day, and this is, I'll say this is about um, maybe a week after that. I'm sitting there one day, and I'm listening to this um, – Indian brother, you know what I'm saying, this dude from India, and he's talking to one of the brothers from, um, you know, down with Malachi's camp, Malachi's the York's camp, you know, the brother's selling the incense, he's buying a book, well, he's looking at the books, and I overhear him while I'm waiting for the bus, talking about some of the experiences that I had, so I walked over to him, and I said, what are you talking about, he said, I'm talking about astral projecting, I'm like, that's what it's called, that's spell, because I do that, so then I went, instead of going to, um, going home that day because I was going my way home from work. I actually skipped going home and went straight to Harvard Square and bought some books on how to astral project. Now, see, I was doing it like, I don't know how I was doing it. You know, it's just by, like, I was by chance I was doing it. I didn't have any control over it. Then that, I it might be just a natural in, in, in sense that you have. I mean, some people are born with certain senses and certain abilities that you don't even know how you do it. You just do it. You know what I mean? It's like walking. You don't know how to walk. You just walk. You know, true, it just true. comes natural to you. Uh, so that might be the case. You might like, just have this ability that's so, you know, natural to you that you're doing it without even really, you know, knowing what you're doing exactly, without even probably procedures or anything like that. Can I ask you a question real quick? If you Go don't for mind, it. Have you ever had an experience like when you're laying in the bed, right, and you feel like um, almost like you slipped off the bed and then you, you wake up and realize you didn't fall off the bed? Oh, yes. Falling dreams, yes. All right. that, you, that wasn't a falling dream. That was you about to astral project. Now, have you oh, ever okay. had an experience, literally, have you ever had an experience when you're laying on the bed and you feel like um, you can't breathe and, like, there's something on your chest and you can't move? Yep. It, it takes all the energy in your body just to break out of that, you know, just to, just to break yeah. out of that, that, 
Yeah, science calls that sleep paralysis, I believe. Sleep paralysis. Now, let me explain about sleep paralysis. When I want to astral project, and people who want to learn how to astral project, please understand this. That is the state that you want to be in before you astral project. I try to get myself into that zone, that sleep paralysis zone. I don't know what you want to call it, that frequency, (laughs) that vibration. If you can get yourself there, you are there, literally. All you have to do is do something like, and this is what I usually do. I, I, I just real slowly, because you can't move. It feels like you, you can't move. So you just slowly roll off the bed or roll to the side or whatever you want to do. Just roll to the side. If you can do that, you'll feel like you roll to the side, literally, like your physical body. You might even fall onto the floor, and you might say, you, you stand up, and you feel kind of like funny, but you know, like, you, it almost feels like you're sleepwalking. You might even question, am I sleepwalking? <laughs> Literally, until you see you your know, body laying You know what's in. funny about that? I, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. You know what's funny about that? I, I actually did get a lot of sleep paralysis for a, for a period there for some time. I don't know if you ever heard my show, the psychic show I did. I have, a, you know, a kind of some sort of, in, 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 I don't know if you want to call it an ability, but I have, a, in, you know, a psychic ability, I guess you could call it, you know, for lack of a better term. Uh, and that used to happen to me a lot. As soon as I started kind of like, you know, learning about my, my abilities or what I could kind of do, uh, mm-hmm. That started happening to me a lot. I would get a lot of sleep paralysis, and I didn't know, you know, that, that was something that I should just that, continue that on and just bro, follow through. Yo, I'm gonna put it like this. I don't know what the what the what the scientists call it. I don't know what these quantum physics people call it. I'm gonna just call it this. That's that zone, bro. If you can get yourself in that zone, that's the zone. Literally. Oh man, I, I'll tell you what. I was in the zone just about every night time because that I used to happen to me all the time. Do you do, do, like? If, if, like, let's say you really try hard, could you get yourself into that zone? Oh, yes. Right, I could, I could most definitely do it. That and, and is where you want to be. That's where you want to be. And it's funny you bring that up because that, I could do that almost at will sometimes. Oh, man, you got it. Oh, you got it. Good. That's the place you want to be, all right? That's where you want to be in order to get to that astral, like, to the astral realm. I mean, you're right. You're, like, ten, you're almost, like, two seconds there. You're there. You know what I mean? But the problem is that most people, they get scared. You know, they feel like yep. as if they're, like, choking or they're going to die. It's not – what I read in the book before, and I wish I had the um, the name of the author and, I, and the name of the – I can't remember because I have so many books on the astral. But what I read before is that that – oh, maybe I even might have heard it on the Art Bell show. I can't remember. That's – you know, you trying to, like – that like, it feels like you can't breathe and you're trying to mm-hmm. breathe. It's supposedly your um, your body, like, your, your astral body, like um, – um, Detaching itself from the physical body, but it's you, like um, almost like um, I don't know. It's like that transition. So it feels like you're losing your breath. It's like a transition yeah. from your conscious, your you know, your body to your astral conscious. I guess you could say. So it it gives the sensation like you're not breathing. It's like you adjusting to the astral breathing. But once you get past that stage, and I'm telling you, it only takes um. Two seconds. Once you get past that stage where you just slip out of that, you know, you slip out of your your physical body, you're not going to feel that sensation again. Literally, you're not going to feel that. And it's deep. You know what I mean? It's deep. I mean, I've had, like, um, I mean, as far as the actual is concerned, I, I mean, there was times when I didn't believe in it, you know, even though I was doing it. I'm like, yo, I'm making this all up. But I've done experience, I mean, experiments where I've um actually, like, you know, I'll give you an example. My brother... He didn't believe in it, and I said, "Listen, man, can I astral project to your house?" And he said, "Yeah." And I never been to his house. This is when he moved to um, Baltimore. He said, "Yeah." So I asked him to his house, 
you know, I didn't get to his house, but I actually got to his job. I described it to a T. From that day on, he was bugging. He's like, yo. You know, yeah, he told me that story. That? <laughs> yeah, how'd you do that? And I'm like, yo, I'm telling you this shit is real. From that yeah. point on, he's like, yo, tell me all how to do it. So I taught him how to do it. You know what I'm saying? I say within a week I had this dude asteroid. And to this day, he's better than me. Literally. You know, oh, really? there was another time when it had snow, fresh snow on the, on the ground. And I asked you it out. See, I, I do experiments. You know, well, in the beginning, I did a lot, a lot of experiments, but I know it's real now. So I asked you it out my body, you know what I mean? And there were um, fresh tracks of, uh, like, um, I, um, I guess it was like a cat had walked past my um, lawn and went on the balcony. And it wasn't there before I did, was doing the astral. So I said, now, let me see something, man. If them tracks are really out there when I come out of this astral, you know what I mean, then this is real. I went down. Anyways, make a long story short, when I came back to my physical body or my physical self, I went downstairs to the backyard, looked in the backyard, and those prints were literally there. And that's the day I was like, okay, this is real. This is real. Now, you know, you know, what, we, you know what we should do, and this is and this something I'm going to run by you real quick. Um, in the near future, a friend of mine who hosts the show here on Block Talk Radio, his name is Jesse Randolph, he hosts the show You For Not Radio. He's going to move his show from Sundays to Wednesdays. So I've been thinking about taking over the Sunday time spot that he's leaving behind because nobody's going to take it. Uh, what I'm thinking about doing is doing a show on Sundays where it's Hood to Hood Radio, uh, you know, and my and Jackal's head together. And uh, if you right. want, we could do a whole show talking about astral projection and actually try to do a demonstration on air some right. way. That'll be ill. I mean, I don't know how. I mean, I, I'm not at will like that. It takes me a minute to get in my zone. You know what I mean? But if somebody's ill like that and they could do that, I mean, I'm down. Okay, that's well, let's that's try deep. to put that together. Let's try to put that together and see if we can do that. Um, you know, I'm going to have, uh, like I said, a guest coming on in a little while on the show here. Uh, by no all means, stay around in the chat so you can, uh, you know, hey, check man, out the rest I'm of the here, show. man. Like I said before, man, I'm just excited. But real quick. Doing this, man. Yeah. Tell everybody about the website that you have now. Tell everybody about your show. All right, uh, and also, wants, go ahead. Right. The, the mic is yours, though. So. All right. Everybody wants to know about Hood to Hood Radio. You can go to www.hoodtohoodradio. That's H-O-O-D-T-O-H-O-O-D, radio.com. Um, we have a show this Saturday. It's going to be about um, – it's going to be – excuse me. Most of our shows are Saturday nights at 7 p.m. And this week's show is going to be – the title is going to be What is a Sellout? What is a sellout? <laughs> Officer Ricky. Now, uh, <laughs> yeah, <that's good. laughs> um, we have two guests coming on. They're supposed to be coming on. I forget. Uh, what's what's the first guest name? What's his name? Um, huh? The Red Pill and Vincent E. Brown. They're supposed to battle each other because Vincent E. Brown, he's a conservative. I've been to his show and he just said some disrespectful things about black and Latino people. And that's my point of view. Y'all, y'all probably have your own point of views. I mean, it really don't matter. Well, but anyway, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to call in on this show then. Yeah, yeah, you have to. So he said some dis- disrespectful things about blacks and Latinos, and he, and, and the thing about it is, like, he really didn't say most of the stuff. The um, his guests were saying most of the stuff. So anyway, make a long story short, and his guest was a white man, and it seemed like he was kind of selling out to. I mean, I'm not, I'm not racist or nothing like that. I'm just saying that's what how the story, um, this whole situation started. Yeah, this um, white conservative and this black man agreeing with the racist things that this white man was saying. And oh, wow. that's what we're going to have the show on. So anybody want to check that out, come check us out. Um, Blog Talk Radio, 
forward slash hood dash T-O dash hood. Y'all can check us out. Now, we do stuff like that. You know what I mean? We're, we're more rowdy over there. Y'all chill over here. You know what I'm saying? On this side, Jackal. <laughs> but it's good, man. I love it, man. What time is it again? Everybody in time again. So 7, you know 7 for a fact. 7 p.m. Eastern. 7 p.m. Eastern. Eastern. Perfect. You know what I mean? That's awesome. I'm, I'm going to definitely be on the show. I'll, I'm definitely calling in if, if, if I hear something. You know, and, and anybody out there listening, man, please forgive me, man. You know what I'm saying? If I sound, I, I'm, it's not a racial thing. It's just, you know, I can't, I can't stand for people disrespecting other cultures. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know I can't what? deal with that. I can't deal with that, man. I can't deal with it. it. No matter what you it, are, man, just don't disrespect for no, no apparent reason just because you're mad. You understand exactly. what I'm saying? So that's all it's about, man. And it's funny you're doing that show, and it's funny you're, you're saying that now because, you know, my show has been involved in a little controversy the last week uh, with other shows uh, here on Block Talk Radio who have uh, gone a little bit of a, of a racial bashing. Uh, you know, I don't even want to get too much into it, really. Right. Uh, but right. we've been involved in kind of like trying to, you know, dis, you know dis, diffuse that whole situation. And, uh, you know, shows like that is, is great that you're doing that show because, again, it pinpoints that we still have a problem of racial tension in this country. Definitely. And in the world, and unfortunately, we have to, you know, find a way to come together as people because at the end of the day, we're all human beings and we all live in the same exact little planet. And yeah, I said same, it before, I'll say it again. And that same alien might destroy all of us. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and I've said it before, I've said it a million times, it's a little planet which is sitting on the tail end of a galaxy floating in the middle of intergalactic space, Man. surrounded by billions and trillions of other galaxies, different and some like ours. And, you know, we're, we're here, you know, just along for the ride, really, because uh, yeah, our like planet a, is our spaceship, if you want to look at it that way. We're here for a ride. Exactly. And we're, we're only like a grain of sand compared, not even, we're like nothing. <laughs> we don't even exist compared to, to, the, um, to the universe, you know, how big the universe is, so... You're right, man. You know what I mean? We have to, like, really protect what we have, man. You know what I mean? And it seems like, I don't know. Let me ask you a question. Go for it. I know you're a Michael Jackson fan, so am I. Okay. I'm a big Michael Jackson fan. I just want to ask you one question. Can you do the moonwalk? Oh, man. I'll tell you what. When I was, fi- when I was 15, yes. You can. Now, now I can I can barely do uh, I can barely do the twist. Anyway, I can't do the moonwalk. Though. All right, man. I just wanted to ask that question, man. I used to be a break dancer back in the, back in the early '90s and mid '90s. I used to break dance as a kid, and, oh, yeah, and believe it or not, I used, I got into break dancing because of Michael Jackson's music. Uh, his right. music influenced me. His dancing influenced me a, a great deal. The reason I got into performing at all is because of Michael Jackson himself, uh, because of the fact that you know he inspired me to be better. You know, in music. And, Let me ask you a question, man. Music was so amazing. Have you been Have you been on? Following the whole thing on the internet, what they're talking about? There's a lot of people saying that. Mike was killed by the Illuminati, man. You know what? And I watched I, I, some of the videos, man. I mean, I don't know, man. Some of them kind of convincing to me, man. I ain't gonna I, front, I, I, man. Got, I got my own theory on this, and my theory is a little bit, uh, if, if you listen to it, it might make a little sense. I don't know if you know the doctor, Conrad Murray, that, that you know was there to, that actually gave him the propofol. Uh, no. That doctor was in debt for I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars, almost millions of dollars. Uh, mm. You know, both in, uh, in back pay and some other uh, against lawsuits or whatever, and his house was under foreclosure. So there's a guy who needed a crap load of money, and he needed it really quick. And it's just so ironic that he's now hired to work for Michael Jackson, uh, living, you know, as a living doctor to help him sleep because he's having sleep problems or whatever it is he's having. Uh, by the way, they found in the autopsy that he had no illegal drugs ever in the system. I don't know if anybody ever heard that. Because people like to talk about the negative stuff on the media about Michael, but 
where something positive like that comes up, and he's never had any illegal drugs in the system, yep, be it cocaine or anything like that. Uh, right. the, exactly, the media doesn't want to, you know, say the positive things about this man, but, uh, you know, you have this doctor who's sleeping over at his house, and all of a sudden he dies, and he does ah. everything you can do wrong as a doctor. First of all, he gave him CPR on the bed. Where everybody knows you're supposed to put a person on the ground on hard ground against CPR. So he fucked up right there. That's right there, strike one. Two, Michael was found dead or unconscious or, or not breathing at 9 in the morning, but yet he didn't call the ambulance until 12 o'clock in the afternoon. That's strike number two. Uh, and for me, the biggest thing that a lot of people are not talking about, and Latoya Jackson spoke about this, there was $3 million worth of jewelry and money missing from Michael's room. That to this day, they have no accounting where that money and that jewelry is missing, including jewelry that Michael's mother had given Michael, so they know for a fact is there. I think one was like a hundred and something thousand dollar chain. So think about this. The guy disappears for three days after Michael dies. Right? He disappears because you couldn't find him for like two or three days. Right. Then he finally reappears uh, with a completely, you know, touched-up story and some made-up video that they put online. Uh, the whole thing is fish. I think the, the doctor killed him to get the money. Uh, to fix his own situation, and he said, screw Michael, I don't care, you know, he's just another person. That's my right. personal opinion. I don't think it was Illuminati or, or, or what, New World Order or anything think, like that. So you think he did this intentionally? Like, do you think that he was just trying to, like, put him to sleep for a while while he took the jewelry, or you think that he was like, you know what, I'm going to here, and I'm going to kill this dude? I think he might have actually, you know, said, you know what, I'm going to give him all the drugs he needs, and if he dies, I'm going to take advantage of it. That, that's what I think. You take advantage I mean, of the situation. I'll put it like this, man. I don't know if you saw some of the videos out on, on YouTube, man, but, I mean, and, uh, I hate to say it, man. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a YouTube fan when it comes to that, like, uh, conspiracy theory stuff, man. You know what I mean? I know a lot of people say you can't you can't look at YouTube videos. and ju Man, some of them are convincing, man. I'm sorry, man. I mean, if well, here, I would go back and do the research of, you know, and say, well, is this fact that this person is saying on his video true? Like, let me go research that. If the shit they're saying is true, I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm sorry for swearing, but if the thing they're okay. saying is true, man, I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah, Did you hear his last um Go ahead. Check this out. I have a couple callers on the uh, right, feed. I don't want to. First, I'm going to find out who they are first to see if it's one of my guests. Uh, right, if it's, right, if not, right. if, if it's just a uh, caller with a question, we can take them real quick. Uh, but here, hold on. Five one. I'm gonna get to both of you guys, so just chill. Five one six. You're on the air first. Uh, welcome to Jackal Said. Who's this? Jackal, hi. It's Jim over at UFO HQ. How are you this evening? Oh, there you go, Jim. Welcome to the show. Can hey, you? I'm gonna put you on hold for one second, and I'm gonna come right back to you so we can start off on your segment. I don't know if you received my email. That was a little bit of a conflict with uh, my other guest on the show, uh, so I'm gonna take you first. Uh, so just uh, bear with me one second. I'll be right back to you, okay? Okay, thank you, sir. Not a problem, Jim. And uh, 207, welcome to the show. Yes, how's it going? It's P51. Oh, P51. What's up, buddy? Uh, listen, I'm uh, I'm chill I, I for one second. I guess now, so. No, yeah, but chill. Hang out for a second because you're into your policy also. I think you'll you want to stick around and hear, uh, and hear this call. Uh, so well, I'm going to go ahead and leave you on the line. But hold on one second. I'm going to put you on hold for one second, all right, bud? Okay. All right. Well, there you go. I got my uh, get my first guest, Jim, on the line. Of course, I was supposed to have Seth at twelve thirty. I don't know if Seth is going to make it or not. But uh, yeah, listen, let's let's uh, continue this. In fact, like I said, I'm going to schedule uh, shows. You know, as soon as Jesse uh, leaves the air, I'm going to go schedule shows on Sundays. Uh, it might be probably next week. I'm not sure. You know exactly when I'll do the Sunday shows. Uh, but I have another show tomorrow, and I have uh, it's going to be at eleven thirty at night. So feel free to call in. 
no and we'll continue. We'll continue this. We'll continue this discussion. And and Michael Jackson, when you hear the uh, the gentleman I'm bringing on, man, you're gonna be blown away. This guy is an awesome guest. I spent uh, about 30 minutes on the phone with him, and he's a super cool person. Uh, and he's Australia's number one Michael Jackson impersonator. And when you hear his story, it's a touching story. In fact, uh, Michael knew who he was, which is which is even more amazing. That's uh, they knew that's each other. Yeah, so definitely a good person to have on the show. And talking to him, you know, it, it inspires me a little bit more because it shows me that Michael did touch a lot of people worldwide. I mean, this guy's from Australia, so. And I want you to ask him the question: Who he think? What, what he thinks happened? If you if you can remember that. No, you you ask him. You be on the show. You ask him. How's that? It's gonna be up the thirty first. <laughs> All right, let's do it, man. I'm with it. All right, cool. Stay in the chat room, my friend. I'm gonna go ahead and get to Jim in hey, a second. Big up, man. I'm out of here, man. Peace. Thank you. Thank you so much for calling in, man. I do appreciate it very much. No doubt. One love, man. Same to you, bro. All right. That was uh, Hood to Hood Radio. And, yeah, folks, we're going to uh, definitely uh, be hooking up with Hood to Hood Radio here on the show on Jackal's Head. Uh, again, the reason we're doing it is because we're trying to bring the truth to all the cultures. It's not a white man's problem. It's not an Indian man's problem. It's not a black man's problem. This is something we're all facing. You know, the question of are we alone is something we're all going to face. And really quick, I'm going to bring on my guest tonight, which is supposed to be my first guest uh, originally. Actually, it was supposed to be my second guest originally, but like I said, Seth is not going to be able to make it so much later, so he's going to go on first. I'm going to go ahead and have him beamed up. I know we already talked to him, but screw it. This is, I, this is tradition. Beam him up. Yes, sir. Immediately, sir. Jim, hey, welcome Jack. to the show. Thanks for having me on tonight. It's great to be here. Quite an honor, sir. No, the honor's all mine, believe me. And greetings and salutations from Jackal's Head. I, I welcome you to the uh, show. Uh, if you guys don't know who this man is, you're going to be in for a treat. Uh, he has a, an, an awesome website. You guys definitely have to take a look at. Jim, welcome. Thank you, Jackal. Thanks a lot. Yeah, uh, you know, briefly, I put together the UFOHQ.org for the UFO community. You know, I've, I've always been interested in UFOs. It's something I've been, like, I guess you would call an armchair uh, ufologist, you know, probably my whole life. And this summer I got to looking at the Internet, got to thinking about it, looking at some of the other uh, social networking sites and things like that, and I was like, you know, the, the UFO community really needs and deserves a place that's um, where they can go and they can post information, they can have a site that they can manage themselves, and it's not really controlled by any one person. And that's really what I put together over there. You know, people can email their stories in. They get posted automatically. Uh, anything that they find on, on Twitter and they talk about UFOs, that's also posted to the site. Uh, it's all automatic. You know, so it's, it's something I've really put together uh, without any kind of prejudice or editorializing. And, you know, we carry 500 headlines from over 100 blogs. You know, so again, it's it's something for the community, uh, of the community, by the community, and that's really what I'm trying to do with it. And that, really, uh, what I what I wanted to come on the show tonight and talk with you about is some of the high-profile statements that the uh, people have made over the years about UFOs. You know, people are always clamoring for uh, more UFO evidence and UFO information. So I thought it might become uh, fun to come on and talk with you about that. Yeah, in fact, uh, before we get into that, give us a little background on yourself uh, and exactly who you are, you know, for, the, for people to know exactly what got you interested in the whole subject of ufology to begin with, because it's a very interesting subject, as we all know, but what actually got you into, into doing this, into doing your website? 
Yeah, so I, I think really the, the big turn on for me and what got me so interested in, in building a website for the community and, is trying to assemble um, things that are easily perceived as facts for people to look at. So, for instance, you know, you can go all over the Internet all day long. You can see videos. Uh, you can see different stories about UFOs. There are plenty of sites where you can go and look at that. But, you know, the question is always like, well, who are the people behind those stories? Who are the people that are uh, making those videos? Where does it all come from? You know, what does it mean? And so what I've really tried to do with UFO HQ, uh, as far as the things that I've personally assembled myself, like the video room and the library and things like that, I've put together a big list of uh, high-profile individuals, you know, astronauts, uh, getting on television, on Fox News, and talking about, yeah, there are UFOs, uh, there are ETs. You know, these people are scientists. Some of them are doctors. They've walked on the moon. I mean, you're talking about people here with impeccable credentials, and they're making incredible statements. And when you look at the underlying motive there, you know, they're not, I don't think they're trying to have fun or, you know, poke fun at people. I think they're really trying to uh give a message that's meaningful through an alternative channel. So I'm really trying to increase the visibility of those types of statements and assemble the data so that people can find it in one easy place. Oh, definitely. Uh, that's actually that's awesome. And that, that goes along with what even we're doing here with Hood to Hood Radio and, and my show here, The Jackal's Head. I don't know if you were listening a little earlier to the uh, gentleman I had speaking here from Hood to Hood Radio. Uh, but it, it's great. This is, this is something that helps everybody get you know into the subject. Helps everybody get the information out to everybody, which is fantastic. Um, let me ask you, you know, what are you guys doing now? I mean, what's the, the, the most current things you folks are doing over on your website? Yeah, so what we're, what we're trying to do now is uh, we moved it over to uh, Big Host. We got an OC48 connection, and we got a dedicated server, so now it's a lot faster. Uh, it's about two months old, and the traffic is running, you know, anywhere from 100 to 500 people a day. So it's still early on, you know, since the website is so new. Uh, but to try to in increase people's experience with the site and try to make it uh, a little more friendly, we've incorporated some new features. So we put up live video chat. You can go to the site and live video chat with other people that are on and talk to them about things that you see on the site or uh, maybe even discuss you know, something that you'd like to post. In addition, in addition to that, we've also established voice chat. So for people who don't necessarily want to do video chat, that's an alternative. And we also put I have a question I, for you. Yeah, sure. Can I ask you a question? What is the precise well, URL? The precise oh, 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 address? Yeah, yeah the URL... Okay, give the, that out. Give that out to everybody, yes. Yeah, sure. The URL for the site is http colon slash slash ufohq.org. Ufohq.org. Everybody check that page out right now. Uh, if you have huh. In fact, I'm going to put it on the chat room so you guys can check this website <laughs> out. And uh, everybody, if you can... Save it to your favorites. It's an excellent website. Hey, thanks, Jack. We'll put a lot of work into it. Obviously, you know, nothing's more important than community feedback. So, you know, any ideas or suggestions you guys have for the site, don't be afraid to uh, email it as a news flash off to the site. You can also send an email to ufohqs at gmail.com. Uh, anything you want to see there, you know, I'll certainly incorporate that right away. UFOHQS, right? Dot com. UFOHQ.org. Oh, .org. I'm sorry. I'm putting .com here. .org. Okay, .org. So, yeah, I failed at least once every show. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure that uh, my sidekick here got it. You got that right, John? 
Say again. Did you you got the link? You got it working? Yes, I got it on. I, it's a uh, it's a great great looking website. Um, I'll post it in there in the, in the chat room real quick because I'm trying to go back and forth here. Post it in the chat room so everybody can have uh, the link on there. They can go ahead and click on it and save it on your favorites, folks. Uh, like I said, it's, a, it's an excellent website. And let me ask you, Jim, uh, have you yourself had any experiences uh, with UFOs? Have you seen UFOs? Have you been sky watching? Uh, watching? Uh, I mean, that's my Latin accent getting out there. But I, have you been sky watching yourself? Uh, have you captured anything yourself? You know, I, yeah, I am an avid sky watcher. I really do like to look. And, and I've certainly seen things in the past that, you know, can't be explained easily. Um, don't have any videotape and don't have any real in-depth personal experience, but it's certainly a, a subject that I find fascinating. And, you know, that's really the whole key, right, is if you're not out there looking, if you're not observing, you're not going to see anything. So definitely uh, I like to go out. I like to look at night and see what's going on. I have seen a few mysterious things uh, living out here on Long Island close to New York City. Not the, not exactly the best conditions for sky watching with all of the light pollution in this area, but uh, you know I try to go out whenever I can in the summer and, and check it out. Uh, you know that that being said, always very happy to have anybody newsflash uh, a video to the site. You can send that right over. Just send it to newsflash at ufohq.info. Uh, when you send your story over there, you can even send YouTube links. That'll it'll automatically post your video right to the site. It's all self-running and automatic. Awesome. That's that's interactive as well, too. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, I saw something on your website that uh, if you link up with Twitter, uh, if somebody types anything that has to do with UFO on their Twitter, automatically it goes to your website also. Uh, and yeah, is, that's, is that correct? That's, that's a great observation there, Jackal. You know, yeah. I, I actually got started on Twitter about two months ago. I really didn't know anything about it and really honestly had no experience with it whatsoever. And so I, I got a few tools that can go out and connect into the uh, Twitter public API. And what they do is they search through the entire Twitterverse, and they look, they look for data and information. And what I found is there's really a very serious, hardcore UFO community out there on Twitter. I mean, these people are dedicated. They're out every day. They're sky-watching. Uh, they're watching the news. They're watching all of the foreign bureaus and things like that for UFO reports. And these people post what they find as a tweet out to Twitter. And so one day I'm, you know, sitting here uh, in my facilities and I'm thinking to myself, you know, it would be great if there would be a way that I could automatically get that content and post it up to the website. It's really good. These people are really serious. They're enthusiastic. They're on it every day. And there's probably two dozen people that are out there constantly generating content, and they have really good stuff. I mean, they find some hot videos, uh, you know, the latest news, like I said. So what I did is I created a system that goes out. It connects automatically to the Twitter public API. It keyword searches uh, for anything that says UFO with an HTTP link, and then I have some algorithms that go through and discard all of the uh, spam, if you will, as best I can, you know, because there are you know plenty of uh, links that get sent to have that have to do with things that aren't exactly regarding UFOs, you know, products or uh, you know right. gear, even stuff like that, right? So try to filter it out as best I can. Doesn't always work, but uh, a lot of lot of great stuff on there from those folks at Twitter. You got to see some of the stuff. There's this one guy out there, IQXS. He is amazing. Okay, this guy is all over UFOs from top to bottom. Uh, IQXS is tweeting all day long about UFOs. He's, that's really what his uh, niche is. He's made it his specialty. A couple of other great guys on there. Uh, you've got Area 51 Org. He's constantly giving updates, Paranormal Psych. You know, definitely if you want to learn 
uh, what's going on on a day-to-day basis with UFOs and what's really hot, you can follow those people on Twitter. Yeah, it's funny. You know, your website is getting known. I have a couple of friends of mine who I was telling them that I was going to have you on my show. I was like, oh, man, I'm going to have uh, Jim Ames from uh, UFOHQ.com. You know, uh, I'm going to have him on my show, and then my friend was like, oh, I know, I know his website. I talk to him all the time on, on Facebook. Uh, I don't know if you, you remember Jamie, who uh, hosts uh, Florida UFO. Oh, Jamie has a fantastic show. Let me tell you something. That guy yes. is phenomenal. I love his show. I listen to it almost every time it's on. How he gets the caliber of guests that he has on his show is beyond me. I mean, I've listened to some of the most brilliant people in UFOlogy on his show, and uh, these people are just they're fantastic, you know, Stanton Friedman, uh, other huge high-profile names. And uh, Jamie's a great guy. You know, he's like you, a real gentleman. He knows how to put on oh, a great show. You. Yep, uh, you guys are tops, definitely. So always happy to, to see either one of you. You know, you mentioned Facebook. Uh, we've actually got a pretty good following going on Facebook for the UFO HQ. We have uh, over 1,700 people that are following the UFO HQ live alerts on there. Uh, we've created a, a fan page that you can join, and there are over 500 people that are on the fan page, and we have over 1,000 Twitter followers now. So, like I oh, said, wow. you know, we're, it's early for us. We've only been in the game for two months, but like I said, really it's all about you know building this website for the community so that they can have a place. Um, you know, you go out and you look like there, you have FARC, okay, which is the news service where you can go and submit your own news, right? And you have CNNI reports. And that's really what I'm trying to do with UFOHQ.org. I'm trying to make it a place where the UFO community can really run it and manage it themselves, submit their own news as a news flash or send it out on Twitter, uh, you know, something for everyone. Oh, that's, that's great, man. Don, you have any questions there? Try that again, Jackal? No, John, go ahead. Well, I was just wondering... Um, what the uh, what the uh, if there was a core objective that uh, UFOHQ.org was trying to achieve? Yeah, that's a great question. Okay, so yes, there is. Uh, you know, obviously, it's a lot of fun to look at all the latest UFO videos. That's always entertaining. It's great to look at the UFO stalker stuff that gets posted there automatically every time somebody goes onto UFO stalker and files a report. Uh, that's automatically posted at UFOHQ.org. Same thing happens if anybody goes to UFO Clearinghouse. That's automatically posted. You know, those are great to read. They're very entertaining. It's always fascinating to see what people are observing or what they're claiming to have observed and, and to have a look at that. But really, the, the core objective at UFOHQ.org is to give more visibility to these really super high-profile people that are making incredible statements about UFOs. I mean, we're talking about people that have PhDs, people that are doctors, people that have walked on other worlds, and they're saying the most incredible things that if you don't know about this and if you haven't looked into it, you're going to be shocked. Okay, I know a lot of people out there are familiar with the Disclosure Project. They're, oh, yeah. uh, they're familiar with you know the fantastic work that's been done by that organization and by the other organizations that are doing similar work. But I really don't think that everyone's tuned in to what some of these astronauts are saying in public on the news. And so there's actually a video room on the site. Uh, if you go up to the top and look at the links, there's a link called Vid. And up there you can see Dr. Edgar Mitchell, who walked on the moon. You can see Buzz Aldrin. You can see Gordon Cooper. And you can see all of their comments that they're making and uh, on Fox News, on CNN, on CNBC. 
And they're saying, hmm. yeah, UFOs are real. This, it's being covered up by the government. ETs have visited the Earth. I saw a flying saucer land. You know, these are incredible things for these kind of people to be saying. And you have to, you have to look again at what their motive would be. You know, these are, these are people that have nothing to gain by making fantasy. They've already made their name in the world. They've already made their place in history. You know, there's some reason. And everything to lose, too. Yeah. Yep. By uh, making yeah. these plans. If they weren't true, then they wouldn't be making them. Yeah, it's a, it's a lose-lose situation, really. There's no gain. Uh, yeah, they, exactly. They have, what do they have to gain by making these incredible statements? Their place in history is made. You open yeah, any yeah. encyclopedia, you look at any history book, you look at who Gordon Cooper is, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, Buzz Aldrin. You know, those are some phenomenal names. They're going to be right up there with Galileo and the other prominent people of history, you know, 300 years from now. 300 years from now, people know who Buzz Aldrin is, okay? And it's not going to be because, you know, he was talking about UFOs. It's going to be because of his contributions to history, because he went into that capsule, and he went onto that journey to the moon, he risked his life, and uh, he did it for the betterment of all mankind. Yeah. Um. How does uh, UFOHQ.org achieve that objective of bringing to light all these fantastic statements that are made by important people? Yeah, really, so it's through, really, you know, obviously the key there is the contributors, their statements. They get those statements, and they put them out in public, and then what I do is I really just assemble everything. I, I go out, uh, probably spend a few thousand hours this year combing the Internet to put together a lot of this data and information. So, for instance, if you go to the library, uh, there's a link up at the top called Live. We have a lot more than just the videos of the astronauts talking on the news. We actually have a lot of transcripts. Uh, we have statements and quotes by famous people that have been made regarding UFOs. That's a lot of the things that we're going to cover tonight. We're going to talk about nearly 100 people and what they've said about UFOs. And pretty prominent people, you know, people uh, in the military, people in the government, even the Vatican. All right, so that's the kind of material that I've tried to assemble right. for UFOHQ.org so that people can go out there and see, you know, this isn't just one or two people talking about this. This isn't coming from a single source. You know, this is something that's prevalent and pervasive uh, if you just know where to look. And I guess that's yep. one of the things that had me frustrated, really, is, you know, there wasn't really a good place you could go to that had a lot of this information uh, assembled and correlated and easily accessible, and that's that's really the goal of UFOHQ.org is to try to bring some organization to that and just make it easier for people to access the data. Now, Jim, when you say famous people, you don't mean like celebrities like movie stars and stuff like that. You mean like astronauts, doctors, uh, people in positions of power, or do you also mean movie stars and you know, musicians and stuff? Because well, I know, know it's, it's, it's there's a lot of musicians and movie stars that are seeing UFOs in the past. Right, exactly. You know, you can look at, like, Olivia Newton-John and other uh, famous celebrities. You know, certainly they've had their say on, on, on their opinion with UFOs. But, you know, some people may find that intriguing. I, I certainly think it's interesting, but really the focus of UFOHQ.org is to uh, bring visibility to the statements that have been made by scientists, astronauts, presidents, you know, people who really don't, have a clear ulterior motive for making these types of claims. They're not seeking fame. They already have that. Right. Uh, they're not. They're not looking for a place in history that's already been established. You know. So now you have to look at the again at their underlying motive of why they would make these kinds of statements. You know. It's and it has to be because they're interested in getting the information out. 
Quick question. Who, who is the, the, the most famous person that you know that has made comments that they've seen a UFO? Well, I think, uh, you know, again, aside from the astronauts, you know, that's clearly established and that's well documented in the news. Right. But if you, if you look at some of the other people that are prominent, uh, you know, you could take some of the scientists that have worked on different projects. I mean, there are just incredible things that these scientists have said and the government witnesses, too. And, and even presidents. You know, let's take a quick look at a couple of the presidents. We'll jump into a couple of these right now, okay? Okay. Let's, let's look at uh, John Kennedy. The U.S. Air Force assures me that UFOs pose no threat to national security. Right. So That's say. John F. Kennedy, the president. Now, he didn't come out and say UFOs aren't real. He didn't say, I'm not going to talk to you about UFOs today. I don't have time for that. He said the Air Force is assuring him that they have no threat to national security. Right, let's look at Richard Nixon. I'm not at liberty to discuss the government's knowledge of extraterrestrial UFOs at this time. I am still being personally briefed on this subject. All right, now again, he could have said anything. He could have said, I don't have time for this. This isn't important. I'm the president. I'm too busy. No, he says he's still being briefed on the subject. Okay, so, yep. you know, you look at, at, at presidents. Take Ronald Reagan. You know, he's pretty famous for some of the things he said. Um, oh, yes, yes. Right, so the UN speech is a classic. Exactly, and yeah. you know he actually reused that three or four times. You know he he actually said, in our obsession with antagonisms of the moment, we often forget how much unites all of the members of humanity. Perhaps we need some outside universal threat to make us recognize this common bond. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And I ask you, does this threat not already exist? Now, that's from the President of the United States speaking in front of the UN General Assembly. Okay, that's, that's something. That's There's heavy something stuff, there. yeah. That's, 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 that's not a joke. When the, when the most powerful man in, in the world and the leader of the free world really says something like that, you have to kind of uh, acknowledge, acknowledge the fact that something is going on. I mean, that's clear yeah, that's right the kind there. of statement you really have to sit up and take notice, exactly. Yeah. You know, even, even Harry Truman, uh, you know, 50 years ago, you're talking about somebody that was obviously a very accomplished man, very well educated, uh, you know, aside from being the President of the United States. I can assure you that flying saucers, given they exist, are not constructed by any power on Earth. Now, again, he could have discredited flying saucers. He could have said, I don't have time for this. And that's, you know, he, he said more than that. All right? So I, I really think that uh, if you look in depth, uh, at what these people are saying, you know, it's they're trying to get the message out through another channel. They're, and if it was just one person, if it was just two people, you could discount it. You could say, well, you know, that's one person's statement, you know, or that's two or three people talking about it. But, you know, I have well over 100 people here that are prominent scientists and government officials that are making the most incredible statements that you can imagine. Let's look at uh, some of the statements made by astronauts. Look at Buzz Aldrin, okay? Mm -hmm. He says, now obviously the three of us, we're not going to blurt out, hey, Houston, we got something moving alongside of us and we don't know what it is. We weren't about to do that because we don't know, because we knew those transmissions would be heard by all sorts of people and who knows what somebody would have demanded. They might have asked us to turn back. So we didn't do that. We decided we'd just cautiously ask Houston how far away was the SIVB. And a few, after a few moments, we decided that after watching the UFO, it's time to go to sleep and not talk about it anymore until we came back and went through debriefing. 
All right. Now, Buzz Aldrin right. said a lot of other things. Like, uh, he was on the news recently, and he was talking about the monolith on the moon of Mars. And he said uh, some things that really raised eyebrows. He says, there's a monolith, a monolith on Phobos. It's about 15 meters high. And aliens hmm. put it there before they came to Egypt to build the pyramids. Now, when, that, when he said that on the news, a lot of the uh, anchor people and things like that, you know, uh, kind of put that off as, you know, he's joking around and just, uh, you know, he's just pulling your leg and trying to have a good time with you. All right? But when you look, when you look at all of these statements together, there's something to it. You know, Neil Armstrong, he said, we have no proof, but if we extrapolate based on the best information we have available to us, we have come to the conclusion that other life probably exists out there and perhaps in many places. All right? And then uh, take Charles Camerata, a NASA astronaut with a Ph.D. In my official status, I cannot comment on ET contact. However, personally, I can assure you we are not alone. Huh. I don't know why, why would he say that? You know, yeah. you talked about an astronaut with a Ph.D. You just you have to wonder, you know, what's going on there. Yeah. And it's not like he's being subliminal either. He's pretty much telling you straight out, I'm telling you we're not alone. <laughs> yeah, Scott Carpenter, right? Another famous astronaut. At no time when the, na when the astronauts were in space were they alone. There was constant surveillance by UFOs. Oh, Carpenter, yeah, yes, sir. Carpenter I've heard that, a photograph of UFO while he was in orbit in 62. NASA yeah. uh, has yet to release it to this day. Yeah, didn't NASA take away the photograph that he took out in space? Wasn't it with his own personal camera? Yeah, that's pretty common. Uh, I actually have yeah. a lot of statements from people that their film was confiscated. It happened to Gordon Cooper. Gordon Cooper yep. uh, was out. In fact, a uh, fascinating story with Gordon Cooper, okay? So Cooper was at Edwards Air Force Base, and he was having some of the cameramen film precision landings, and they spotted a saucer. All right, they filmed it as it flew overhead, and then it hovered, extended three legs and landing gear, and it came to rest down on a dry lake bed. Now, these guys were pro cameramen, and the picture quality was very good. The camera crew managed to get within 20 or 30 yards of it, filming it all the, all the time. It was a classic saucer, shiny, silver, and smooth, and about 30 feet across. It was clear it was an alien craft. Now, this is Gordon Cooper talking. As they approached it, it took off. Now, when his camera crew handed over the film, Cooper followed standard procedure and contacted Washington to report the UFO, and he says all hell broke loose. He said, after a while, a high-ranking official said when the film was developed, I was to put it in a pouch and send it to Washington. But he didn't say anything about me not looking at the film. That's what I did huh. when it came back from the lab, and it was there, just like the camera crew reported. He says, I had a chance to hold the film up to the window to look at it. Good close-up shots. There was no doubt in my mind that it was made somewhere other than this earth. That's what he's talking about, the UFO there. He says, in my opinion, they were worried it would panic the public if they knew that someone had vehicles of this kind with this kind of type of performance characteristics. So they started telling lies about it. I think they had to cover it with another lie. And now they, know, they don't know how to get out of it. When the Air Force yeah. later started Operation Blue Book to collate UFO evidence and reports, Cooper said he mentioned the film evidence, but the film was never found. And uh, Cooper actually went on to say the Blue Book, Blue Book was just a cover-up. Yeah, you're exactly it, it, right. It was smokes. It was it was uh, smokes and mirrors with Blue Book. It was all a cover-up. Uh, you know, it, it's like magicians the way they do their tricks. They tell you to look at one hand while the other hand is really doing the the trick. Uh, that's what Blue Book really was. And and it, do you think it started before Roswell, or was Roswell really what inspired? 
the cover-up to really go full force, because Blue Book was shortly after Roswell. Yeah, so really what happened there was, you know, with, when you start looking at Roswell, obviously that was a high-profile event, you know, that's well-documented. Uh, they, they came out with their first press release. They said that they had captured a disc. Uh, they redacted that, and then they came back and said, no, it was just a weather balloon. And, you know, the more recent information and data that's come to light on that, it was all part of Project Mogul, supposedly, which was our uh, secret project to launch balloons to detect Soviet um, bomb, you know, detonations and things like that. And really, when you get to the core of what Project Blue Book was, uh, it is really all about trying to discredit UFOs and to calm the public's nerves. When you, when you start looking at the history of UFO sightings and really when it came into the public eye, you know, certainly it, it started uh, shortly after Roswell. There, there were well-documented events prior to that. Uh, you can go back to the Battle of Los Angeles in 1942. That's a well-established fact that yeah. that occurred. You know, there were photographs of that UFO with the spotlight shining on it. It was battled all night by the Army in Los Angeles. And, and at the end, the, after, the infis, after the official investigation, uh, they came back and said it was just a case of war nerves. Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure how you get out on the artillery range and, you, <laughs> you know, you battle a UFO all night and then you call that war nerves and photographs exist. So, so really... All of that is what led up to Project Blue Book. You know, they put a, a series of high-profile scientists in charge of that, um, Air Force officers and other people, and really what they wanted to do was they wanted to cover it up and explain it away as best as possible so that people would not be excited about UFOs. They, they did not want to have a situation on their hands where they could not explain these things away, things that might have national security implications, you know, they just couldn't be in a position to say, look, yeah, there are things flying in our skies. We don't have control of our airspace. I mean, you have to remember, this was at a time when the Cold War was going strong. You know, there was a lot of fear of the Soviet Union. They didn't know if uh, how the public was going to react to the whole UFO topic. And so they, they did their best to discredit everyone and to cover it up and hide data wherever possible with Blue Book. And, you know, to this day, I think Blue Book is seen as, uh, you know, three-quarters cover-up and one-quarter investigation, and I think we'll probably never know the truth about the best cases on that. I don't know if you ever saw that special. I think it was on the History Channel a couple of years ago, uh, where they actually went out to the Roswell farm where they found the, uh, the crafts, and they actually were trying to see if they could find any evidence you know, that might still be there. And, and funny enough, they actually came across remnants of a weather balloon. Oh, no uh, kidding. Yeah, it was, uh, I swear to God, I think it was on the History Channel. I'm not too sure. If anybody in the chat room knows what I'm talking about, please, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe it was the History Channel, and they literally found pieces of a weather balloon on the ground as they were walking. And mind you, this is, this is a serious investigation by serious ufologists. It wasn't like, you know, ABC primetime uh, hokey pokey special like they did with, uh, with Stan Romanek a few months back or a few weeks back. Uh, this was like a serious investigation, and, the, and it was funny enough, the first thing they found was weather balloons. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm actually not surprised. I mean, it's, there's no question that Project Mogul was real. Yeah, it definitely happened. They were definitely launching very sophisticated weather balloons with all kinds of uh, instrumentation and different data-gathering devices. It, it really was all about trying to detect the Soviet nuclear detonations. So, you know, the fact that they would find uh, weather balloons and other material related to that out there in the in the desert, you know, that's 
that's definitely in line with what happened. Well, what so, happened was uh, with the uh, Russians uh, or with the Soviets uh, uh, when they detonated Tsar Bomba was they actually changed the trajectory of the planet Earth around the sun. And uh, that was one of the concerns that they had was that uh, they were gradually getting bigger and bigger explosions, and Tsar Bomba was initially intended to be uh, 100 megatons, and they dropped it down to 50 megatons. I don't know how, but um, the uh, the atomic uh, uh, the the, um, the blast radius was uh, itself the actual fireball was approximately three miles wide, and uh, it affected areas ranging from 50 to 75 miles around the blast zone, um, and uh, there were, it was causing uh, increasing concerns uh, because of the, uh, the effect on um, the Earth's uh, path around the sun. Yeah, <laughs> They've no, actually I, changed. Has this been documented uh, in science that people can read this somewhere on Google? Can you Google this information? Yeah, that was the that was the largest hydrogen bomb detonation ever at 54 okay. megatons, and that's well documented at uh, Wikipedia. You can go read about that. In fact, the bomb was so large that it couldn't actually be delivered as a warhead. It was actually uh, detonated in place, and if I recall correctly, they had a very large refrigeration plant on the site that was dedicated to actually facilitate the initi- uh, the ignition of the bomb. So uh, that. And, and the pilot really didn't make it out of the danger zone, uh, you know, when that when that thing was put off. So, you know, you're, you're talking about really an attempt by the Soviet Union to flex their muscles and uh, show their superiority with their bomb-making skills, but it, it certainly was the largest hydrogen weapon ever detonated. Hey, Jim, let me ask you a question here. And uh, speaking of flexing their muscles, what do you think about this uh, spacecraft that we just, you know, destroyed on the moon? Uh, you know, to see if there's water on there. What do you make out of that? Well, I find it pretty interesting, you know, some of the comments and concerns that are, uh, you know, being publicized on the news. When you look at some of the things that people are worried about, uh, you know, they're worried about, you know, possible, you know, um, problems with the orbit of the moon or with changing the geology of the moon and things like that. You know, you have to imagine that the various meteors that have crashed into the moon and other things that have happened over the eons uh, have had a much larger effect on that. Um, Certainly, I I hope that some valid science comes out of that. I hope that they are able to figure out if there's viable water on the moon, if there's something that could be used in future uh, efforts to explore the the moon and perhaps even to try to colonize it. You know, that's really uh, their main objective, I think, is to try to go ahead and, and get that hard data and determine, you know, would there be water on the moon that they could use uh, not only for drinking but as, you know, to get the hydrogen out of that and to have a source of fuel and things like that. Um, certainly don't believe there's any cause for alarm, as, you know, as far as, like, changing the geology of the moon or anything like that. Right. Just You know, it's just due to the... Uh, very limited amount of energy that was released with our with our mission there. Now I don't know if you if you, uh, if you heard of the way they're doing the process to, to check for the water, but they're flying another spacecraft. I guess under the uh, the after the explosion happens, uh, as the dust you know you know starts to uh, to settle back down, they're going to fly like a spacecraft in between that to try to you know check for the water. When do we get that technologically advanced? If we can start doing things like that. that because, I mean, I don't remember NASA ever saying that they had that kind of technology. Just, 
to get you know within those spacecraft all that all over the place. Yeah, so our, our capabilities have really advanced pretty well over the last 20 or 30 years uh, when you start talking about, you know, instrumentation that they can put on these craft that's uh, compact enough to actually make it out there and survive the harsh climate of space. That's really the main challenge when you start talking about any of these experiments. It's pretty easy on Earth to set up any kind of apparatus to go through and model anything and look at anything that you want to do and and try to get some valid data out of it. But when you start talking about, uh, you know, the temperatures out in space and the fact that you have a vacuum, uh, it's pretty harsh, and it's, it's very difficult for the scientific instrumentation to survive. So really, I think the key there is that through our other efforts that we've made and with the other uh, interplanetary probes that we've done over the last 20 or 30 years, um, with, you know, the science instruments that we've put into the Hubble and things like that. It's given the uh, entire community a lot of experience and confidence to go ahead and, and put together these types of groundbreaking experiments where they can go in and they can look for, uh, you know, the signature of water or the signature of uh, hydrogen and oxygen uh, using mass spectrometers and things like that. So, you know, definitely the, the technology's there, uh, but again, the key, I think, has been in miniaturization and hardening it for the space environment. Now, the reason I ask that question is because, uh, of course, we're not told all the technology that NASA has, or, or that the government has for that matter. Uh, so what can only imagine is this is the technology we have now that they're telling us about. You can only imagine what it is that they have that we don't know anything about. Uh, in fact, a lot of uh, the, the uh, sightings that I believe are actually government-tested UFOs or, you know, back-engineered UFOs or something that we've built ourselves here on the planet. Uh, now, as far as you're concerned or as far as you know, uh, do you have anything to back that up? Do you know about the, uh, the experiments that we want to be doing at the moment? I know the desert gets a lot of, uh, a lot of coverage for being, you know, very active for, for a lot of these government test flights. Do you think that most of the, uh, the I guess, the, the people that are seeing these crafts are seeing government flights, or are they, do you think all of them aliens from other worlds? Okay, so I, I think there are some good points there, and I certainly think that, it, you know, when you start looking at UFO reports and you start looking at what people claim they saw and unusual things that are going on in the sky, definitely some of that can be attributed to our secret spacecraft and our secret aircraft. So if you look back over history, maybe, say, the last 25, 30 years, maybe even 40 years, uh, you look back at the U-2 spy plane. You look back at the SR-71. There, you know, no question that for their time, those craft were absolutely top secret. If you weren't in the CIA or the National Reconnaissance Office, or you didn't have the need to know, uh, you weren't aware that they existed. All right, mm -hmm. that's a fact. And so you're you're talking about craft that had performance characteristics that well exceeded anything that was in the public realm definitely absolutely possible that the U-2 and the SR-71 uh, in their day were mistaken for UFOs. And then that, that leads us into what, what is beyond the SR-71. You know, the SR-71 and the U-2 were used for high-speed flyovers of the Soviet Union and China uh, to go in and, you know, do photography and analysis and things like that to look for weapons manufacturing, uh, you know, things of that nature, try to get ideas of... Uh, any, anything to do with the military, right? And the advantage right. with those two systems is they could go in and they could overfly the area so quickly that even a surface-to-air missile couldn't bring them down. Uh, <laughs> at least that was the hope, you know. And unfor unfortunately, they learned that that wasn't quite true with Gary Powers. 
you know, his plane was clearly brought down, and uh, he was held prisoner in the Soviet Union. Uh, they paraded the U-2 spy plane in public, and he had to be exchanged for a, a, a Soviet spy. So it doesn't always work out the way they want, but it, it does lead us up to today. And, you know, what, what might the government be doing with secret aircraft, and could they be mistaken with UFOs? If you go on the Internet, you can look at something called the Aurora. And this is rumored to be a very top-secret, high-speed aircraft that works on a new type of propulsion system, and it leaves a very distinct signature in the atmosphere as it travels. And you can actually find weather satellite data and information uh, showing the contrail from what people believe, and this is a widely held belief, uh, that this is the signature of the Aurora aircraft. And, you know, you're talking about something that has a, a speed that is many times mock. So you're talking about something that could, you know, fly oh, around yeah. the world in a, in a matter of minutes. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, I have a chat room question here for you, and I want to I get into this also. Uh, I, I know UFOs itself is a hot topic, but uh, are you also familiar with a lot of different races that supposedly are visiting the Earth? I know supposedly they've classified about 57 races. Uh, the question in the chat room is, has the guests ever encountered information or documents that say exomorphic or morphing uh, aliens, like the one seen in Aliens, are real? Like the movie Aliens with Scrony Weaver, uh, those type of aliens. Have you encountered anybody that says those kind of aliens are real? Well, you, you know them. Yeah, so if you go through and you look at, some, at what some of these scientists are saying, okay, I uh, have statements from probably 50 scientists here that I've assembled. There's, there's no doubt in the mind of the scientists that we can't be alone in the universe. You know, you're talking about a situation where we have literally uh, billions of galaxies, and within each of those galaxies there are billions and billions of solar systems and billions of planets. So when you just look at it from a mathematical perspective, the fact is there are going to be other planets similar to Earth. There are going to be other life forms that are evolving under similar conditions. And then you just have to ask, you know, how far along are the humans on this evolutionary scale of a cosmic nature? You know, did we come first? Are there other people ahead of us? You know, the universe is roughly, by, guess es by the best estimate of scientists, 13.7 billion years old. Earth has been around, you know, maybe four and a half, five billion years. Um, humans have been around in the current form. Uh, for a few million years, but really the humans were most, you know, that we've evolved into today, that's just a couple of hundred thousand years old if you exclude the primates that are related to us, you know, back along the line. So the real question is, is it possible that other life got to start somewhere else and has evolved ahead of us and they've mastered physics and they've mastered uh, mathematics to the point where they can actually do things like, you know, bend the fabric of space-time and make intergalactic travel uh, as commonplace as us hopping on a jet airplane and going around the world. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at the statements from leading scientists, they all think that mathematically and theoretically this is possible. Okay, the best minds today definitely believe that uh, when you start talking about string theory and membrane theory and you start looking at, you know, how it's thought that the universe works under modern constructs, that it's, it's a possibility that these other people could be traveling here. And then you just have to look at what their motives would be. 
You know, when we go to the zoo, we're nice to the monkeys. We treat yep. the monkeys with respect. We don't taunt them. So maybe when they come here, they're nice to us, and they treat us with respect, and they don't frighten us. You know, who knows? Well, some people do get frightened and abducted and anally probed, which is never fun. <laughs> uh, no, but it's funny. I was I was having a conversation similar with a friend of mine, or similar to that, uh, with a friend of mine about the fact that, you know, he was telling me, well, why don't these aliens, are they real? Uh, why don't they just make themselves known? Why don't they just come down and, you know, publicly show themselves? And I'm like, well, why don't you go to the backyard and make yourself publicly known to your anthill on the ground? And, you know, try to have a conversation with a pile of ants and see what happens, see how, you know, well you get off. Uh, and it's, you know, it's an incredible, you know, thing to see his face when I said that because it kind of made sense to him. Uh, we are the ants. We have to evolve, I guess, to the point that we can make contact with these aliens. Do you think that society is nearing that point? And a lot of people want to point to 2012 and say that this is when we're going to make contact and this is what the Mayans were predicting. Uh, do you think as a society we're, you know, into that point that we actually can make contact and not freak out like Ocean Wells, you know, when he did War of the Worlds where we all freaked out and people were on the streets riding with guns and whatnot? Do you think yeah, we've gotten to that point yet? That's a great question. So I, I do think that some people are ready for that. I think some people are ready for the truth, whatever the truth is. Um, you know, certainly the, there's a lot of discussion today about the Mayan calendar and about their prophecies, uh, their concepts around the galactic alignment that's going to occur when the Earth passes through the galactic plane in 2012 uh, and the, the calendar begins a new cycle. Uh, you know, there's a lot of shows on the History Channel, a lot of information on the Internet about that. You can go and read about oh, yes. the Mayans' take on that. Um, I think there are people on Earth that are, that are ready for disclosure. There are people here that could accept it and that would do well. But I think there are, you know, there are also a great number of people that really aren't ready uh, to think outside the box in that way, that aren't really ready to accept that there might be other civilizations and other life forms that aren't necessarily like us. And I think it really comes down to education. It comes down to, you know, what kind of fundamental science are the people being taught? Uh, what kind of facts do these people have with regard to the true nature of the universe and, and what the best theories are today as, as far as how it actually works? You know, you, you take the primitive societies that still exist today on Earth and, and primitive religions and... And those people probably aren't ready for that type of information and data. They would find it frightening, and it would upset their worldview, and you know it would cause conflict. And there, but there are definitely other, you know, more evolved or more educated aspects of society that I think uh, are ready and that could handle it and that would do well with the information. Certainly, uh, that part of society is in our chat room tonight, and and uh, listen to this show because. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think there, are, there is a part of society that is ready for this kind of information, and it's long overdue. I mean, to be honest with you, we're 2009 now, and we're still debating whether there's life on another planet, and we know how infinite the universe is. So it's kind of uh, it, it's almost it's almost one of those questions that really is, is dumb to even ask, to even ask whether we even make contact with another race ever. I mean, the, the, the answer is so clear: yes, there is life out there. There has to be life out there. I mean, it's well, a reflect. Especially we're finding water on the moon now, for crying out loud. I mean, that tells you a lot right there of the makings of, of you know, the universe, of the actual building blocks that we create the entire universe. Exactly. It all comes from the stars. Every bit of it, all of the material that uh, is inside of our bodies, everything that's on the planet, everything around us, all is generated by the stars. So that means that those building blocks are universal. It's 
it's a fundamental aspect that's everywhere, that's prevalent throughout nature. And if these events converged here on this planet for these uh, favorable aspects to occur and for the amino acids to assemble and for life to start and for us to evolve to where we are over the millions of years, then it's certainly reasonable to think that that could have occurred elsewhere. You know, you, you asked earlier about the, uh, these other scientists and what they think about it and, you know, are UFOs real? You know, look at Dr. Paul Theis, uh, McDonnell Douglas, professor, a professor of aeronautical engineering. Now, this guy is a well-credentialed man uh, working on very advanced systems. He says, when I was at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, we had flying saucers that covered the distance from Columbus to Detroit in the equivalent of about 20,000 miles an hour. Zero-point energy represents about 40 to 50 megawatts of power per cubic inch of space. That's a lot of power. If you can oh, tap yeah. at will, then no one would have to sell gasoline or oil anymore. Depending on the secrecy level, you have to go through a significant background check. When you do that, you're in a very tight compartment. You sign a statement that you will not divulge the existence of the project or even the idea that you're talking about it. Now these people are in their 70s, but they would still absolutely never admit that they even know what you're talking about. If there were non-earthbound sources of information, the people who were doing the design or analysis or work would never have any idea of where it came from. Now this guy's a McDonnell Douglas professor of aeronautical engineering. He's seeing these types of things. He's claiming these crafts exist, you know, that can go 20,000 miles an hour and run on zero-point energy. Hmm. Speaking of zero-point energy, how far along do you think we are as scientifically, scientifically uh, to actually being able to use zero-point energy? I know that there was a tether experiment a few years back that went completely wrong, and the tether actually broke off. And I don't know if you've seen that video, but you see a lot of UFOs flying around it. Have we actually been able to harness zero-point energy ourselves? Do you know anything about that? Yeah, I sure do. So uh, what you're referring to was the experiment on the space shuttle where they had extended a multi-kilometer-long tether out, and they were Correct. trying to uh, you know, tap the uh, electrons that were out there and get that energy to flow through the cable, they actually had some miscalculations and uh, some problems with their design. And what happened is, is the cable actually burned up. It got overloaded. That's what happened. Okay, so when you look at zero-point energy, there are a lot of misconceptions out there today um, about zero-point energy. There's a lot of bad data out there. There's a lot of good data as well. It really all goes back and it probably has its start, um, you know, in something that's been around for maybe thousands of years, people have always been interested in some kind of a perpetual motion machine, some way that they could get energy without putting in more energy than they expend and be able to tap that. And so, so to me, for what I've looked into with zero-point energy and from my understanding of it, it really, I think the zero-point is a misnomer, and I, it would do, we would all be served well if we come up with a, a better paradigm for that and a different way to refer to that. I think really what it's about is it's, it's something on the scale of and something similar to what we did with atomic science. So if you, if you look back at what happened in the early 1900s, you know, up into like the 1930s with the early research into atomics and what went on there with, uh, you know, Curie and the other scientists and, and trying to figure out how the atom really worked, and then some of the key breakthroughs that came uh, and led up to Einstein's letter to the president, you know, warning that they better get on the stick and, and really get serious about developing a nuclear weapon because if we didn't do it first, somebody else would. I think that is definitely a very strong parallel 
to what is going on today with regard to uh, the so-called zero-point energy. I think fundamentally at the quantum level, you know, there's, there are definitely things that we don't understand yet, that we don't completely have a great concept of, just like the atom wasn't completely understood, you know, say 75, 80 years ago, and that mm -hmm. as our understanding of uh, physics matures and quantum mechanics, uh, that's going to enable us to realize breakthroughs in that area and be able to tap into the to quantum C and to obtain this so-called zero-point energy where we can, you know, harness the, the, the energy of the universe and put it to work for us. Yeah, and it's funny. A lot of people like to call it, uh, you know, free energy. And it's really no, it's not free. I mean, they're still going to be able to make money off of this type of uh, technology. And, you know, there'll be new technologies that'll take over to you know be able to run the set up these kind of uh, machines. So uh, it's funny. They, the more they try to hide it, I mean, the more it's needed. Really, now now more than ever. Uh, it, it, do you think that uh, maybe we're going to start seeing more of a change when it comes to like the policies towards this type of energy? I know that well, President Obama already is trying to make that change, but do you think that? More and more, our own society here in the U.S. are going to be, you know, gearing more to make these changes, not only to, you know, for zero-point energy, but other forms of technologies that are give us, uh, you know, cheaper, I guess, energy that we can move away from oil. Uh, oil, as you know, is running short, <laughs> and that's yeah, that, that, actually, that's, actually, that's being nice a, about it. <laughs> that's that's a really great uh, topic, and I think that something that a lot of people are overlooking right now in that area is the bridge between oil and whatever mm -hmm. the energy of the future is going to be. And we do need that bridge. You know, if yeah, because we're not going to get there right away. Zero-point energy is still years away. Yeah, right, it's still years away. But I think, the, I think we do have that bridge, and I do think that bridge is viable. So if you go on the Internet and you take a look at the ITER project, it's ITER, you can just type it right into Google. It will bring up a site. It's a multinational effort. It's being built in France right now. And oh, this, cool. is a, this is our first fusion reactor on the planet. So today, all of our nuclear power plants are fission reactors. They work on actually splitting the atom apart. And then when we split the atom apart, uh, neutrons are released. Those neutrons go out. They hit other atoms. They bust those atoms apart in a chain reaction. And, and we take the heat energy that comes off from this uh, fission reaction and that's how we generate our power today with nuclear plants. And it's, it's good because the nuclear plant uh, is about probably 100 times more efficient than a fossil fuel plant. Uh, oh, yes. you know, obviously, depending on the design, uh, you know, there are aspects of every design that have good and bad. You, you know, the graphite-moderated reactor, like we had a problem with in Chernobyl, that's not a very good design. Uh, there might be better uh, graphite-moderated systems that are, that are more viable, uh, some of the more promising technology probably is the pebble bed reactors where you have uh, low fuel density and uh, virtually no chance of any kind of, um, you know, a, a critical reaction, a chain reaction that could, that could cause any kind of an explosion or anything like that. Now, when you look at the ITER and the fusion system that they're doing in France, that is completely different, all right? That's all about harnessing the power of the sun. So what they're doing there is they've got a very advanced system with a magnetic containment field, and they're feeding in uh, an isotope of uh, helium, I believe. And what they're doing with that is they're actually fusing this together, and this fusion process creates energy. It's very safe. It's very clean. 
Uh, it doesn't create the radioactive waste like we have now with our fission power plants. So, and the ITER is really going to be the first fusion power plant on the Earth uh, oh, wow. to, to take us forward and give us this bridge between oil and whatever the, the next thing is. It's really exciting. They've uh, already started the construction on the plant. It's well underway, and you can find a huge load of information on Google just by typing ITER. That's awesome. Yeah, they're definitely going to have to find a bridge between the two. We have to get off oil one way or the other. It's just, uh, you know, finding the proper technology that gets us to that point that we can get off oil temporarily until we find and harness zero-point energy. And I do believe we will harness it in the next hundred years. I mean, if now if we haven't done it already that we don't know about, you know. Now, you know, what what technology do you think they're using? You know, I mean, obviously it's hard to say, but what kind of fuel do you think they might be using on the UFOs that we back engineered and we're flying currently? Oh, there's a lot of talk about that on the Internet. So, like, for instance, if you go out and you look up uh, the Flying Triangle, you know, it's, and again, this is something that's uh, somewhat subjective because you don't know what the sources are, and if you're not there working on it, you can't be 100% sure. But if you look up TR3B and you search that up on Google, you can find a lot of really good data on the, and a lot of different hypotheses on how the TR3B works. Uh, it's thought to have a, a nuclear propulsion system on board, and the design of the TR-3B and the way that the uh, fusion system on board operates is actually thought to shield gravity, and that is, that is how this flying triangle uh, supposedly works. So there has been a long history of the United States and the Soviet Union experimenting with nuclear reactors, not only for spacecraft, but also for earthbound craft as well. Uh, Actually, the Soviet Union took it so far as to actually build an airplane with a nuclear reactor on board. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, there was yeah there were some problems with that. Obviously, there were problems with shielding, um, you know, and problems with the weight and things like that. But you know, if you look at our technology that we have on our submarines today, and the nuclear power plants that are on board there, you know, it's definitely not too hard to extrapolate that into uh, other types of craft. So. You know, to imagine that the government has uh, vehicles and crafts now with, that are nuclear-powered that can, you know, fly in the Earth's atmosphere and out through space, I certainly don't think that's too much of a stretch. I don't, I don't think that that's uh, out, of, out of hand. And certainly when you look at the orbiting spacecraft that we have and uh, other probes, interstellar probes that we've released, the Voyager systems and things like that that are traveling through deep space, uh, you know, at a good fraction, uh, you know, of the speed of light, those those systems operate on a type of nuclear power. Uh, it's not a conventional nuclear reactor. It's actually a thermal reaction. But, you know, certainly that's, that's very widespread in, in space probes today and even in uh, orbiting satellites is they use thermal generators that operate on nuclear principles so that they can get a long fuel life and a long service life out of the vehicle. Yeah, nuclear power is definitely... The way to go right now, I believe, with all the uh, all the other things that they could be using, probably nuclear power would be the standard. I believe in a lot of these crafts. Uh, but let me, let me ask you: Speaking of uh, space, you know, in the space satellites, have you been uh, become aware of the amount of space debris there is in, in space at the moment surrounding the planet? Yeah, that's a big problem. So you you look, re you know, obviously space debris has always been a big issue. You know, every time we launch any kind of a vehicle, uh, we send up a, a system, you know, anytime we send up a, a spacecraft that's going to orbit the Earth, there, a certain amount of debris is released, whether it's going to be your booster stage or it's going right. to be the explosive bolts that separate those. 
Now this is all tracked by NORAD, and they actually track uh, objects that are even smaller than the size, size of your fist. Every bit of this is tracked constantly at their tracking station. They have a catalog number is assigned to each object. Uh, they know where every one of these are, and believe it or not, like when we send up a crew in the space shuttle to service the Hubble or to uh, go up and do some kind of a science experiment, uh, or even on the International Space Station, it's definitely not uncommon that NORAD will give NASA uh, course corrections for the International Space Station, Space Station or the Space Shuttle so that they, they can avoid, avoid uh, a collision with these orbiting pieces of debris. This happens all the time. Now, there were a couple of very high-profile events recently uh, that contributed to more debris in space. And one of the first ones was when the Chinese decided to test one of their new missile systems. They had an old derelict satellite. The satellite was out of service, and it was coming down. And they, de they decided to test one of their missile systems against it. And they created a huge plume of debris that's going to orbit the Earth for thousands of years. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, with no good way to clean it up. Just a, a real um, short-sighted action on their part. It really, you know, there were a couple of things happening there. There's no question that it was about, you know, them wanting to show their military superiority, their ability to have that type of system, to show that they could take out an orbiting satellite, you know, to demonstrate that their rocketry had advanced to that point. That was definitely one aspect of it, uh, you know, and to make us understand that, hey, your, your satellites are, you know, we can own those. That, that was some, a message they wanted to send. There's no question. And, and, and then they questioned why we have such strict regulations when it comes to the nuclear, uh, you know, the nuclear capabilities around the world. It, you know, you have to keep things under control. I mean, especially since you're, you're going to be the, I guess, the uh, guardian of the of the world as the United States kind of has become. Uh, we have to, you know, have these regulations because look at stuff like that, which to some people might not think, you know, oh, that's not a big deal. It's a big deal. Uh, basically, we're polluting the environment outside of our environment, and that's not good. We can't keep polluting the, you know, the earth around, you know, right around the earth. That's just, that's horrible. Uh, so, yeah, you know, a lot of people, they complain about the policies of, the, of this country, you know, when it comes to to those issues. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, I heard about that, actually, uh, when, you know, I think it was like about two or three weeks after it happened, I read about that, and I was freaked out. I was like, oh, my God, there's going to be thousands of little tiny pieces that could, you know, impact the shuttle, for example, if there's, you know, even the smallest impact in the shuttle could kill the entire crew. Yeah, it's How a real problem. Are that? You're yeah. exactly right. And the reason for that is because these particles, when they're in orbit, they're flying around at maybe, you know, five, six, seven, eight thousand miles an hour. So even if you have something that's just a little tiny shard of metal, you know, that could easily fly right through the astronaut space space suit, it could easily uh, penetrate the uh, International Space Station. You know, these, these structures out in space, they're not durable and rigid. You're not talking about things that are, you know, made out of quarter-inch steel, all right? They, it costs a lot of money to get these vehicles up into space, and they're made of, of very lightweight, um, you know, flexible materials that can't stand up to, you know, a high-impact projectile. Uh, we had another big problem recently, you know, another high-profile event, uh, a derelict Soviet satellite, uh, I believe it was one of their television satellites, uh, out of service, it actually collided with one of our Iridium telephone communication satellites. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, so our, uh, briefly, our Iridium system, there are definitely a few, three or four different orbiting systems for telephone communications. 
probably the, the one that most people are familiar with is the Inmarsat system. Uh, Inmarsat is in a geostationary orbit. There are only about five of the Inmarsat systems. They're out at about 26,000 miles, just like the TV satellites. Uh, so you don't need that many of them to give complete coverage to the Earth. But the real disadvantage of Inmarsat is that due to the uh, long distance at which they orbit, there's a significant delay uh, because your signal is only traveling at the speed of light. So, you know, if that, if that thing is uh, 26,000 miles out, the signal has to leave the Earth ground station, it has to go to the satellite, and it has to be relayed back to Earth. You know, you're talking about uh, that's a good fraction of the speed of light, 186,000 miles a second, so you get a noticeable delay on those circuits. So something that they tried to come up with, uh, they created a consortium back in the 1990s, and they actually got together Motorola and a whole bunch of other people, and they launched the Inmarsat system in a low-Earth orbit configuration. So instead of having five satellites out at 26,000 miles, uh, like in the Inmarsat system, what they did is they put a whole bunch of satellites, I think something like uh, 66, something like that, and they're orbiting the Earth very low, only a few hundred miles above the Earth. And so the advantage you have there is, these satellites provide continuous coverage over the entire planet. Uh, because of the low orbit, there is not a significant delay in the uplink-downlink time. Uh, it's, it's very robust. And if a satellite or spacecraft fails, then there are plenty of other satellites in that constellation to be able to take over the communications. So Iridium was actually a brilliant project, uh, very well conceived. Uh, and unfortunately, they didn't have a very good business model, and they, they went bankrupt. It was almost deorbited in the, in the late 1990s. The government stepped in and funded it, and uh, a lot of the channels now are used for government purposes. A uh, significant portion of the investment went towards, you know, the government maintaining a role and keeping the systems up to date and new, uh, having new spacecraft launched as the other uh, spacecraft, you know, fell and their useful service life ends. But recently what happened is the uh, derelict Soviet satellite actually collided with one of our Inmarsat satellites, and that created another huge debris plume just like with the uh, Chinese incident. And, there, you know, there's just no good solution to this. As long as we have all of these tens of thousands and, you know, of things in orbit, uh, there's going to be a high probability of collision and unfortunately, no good way to get up there and kind of mop it up or, or clean it up. So you're right. You know, we have to be better stewards of not only the environment on the planet, uh, but definitely what's going on outside the planet and things that are orbiting the Earth. We have to be forward thinking about this and, and understand the ramifications of what we're doing. Definitely. Jim, just to let you know, we only have uh, eight minutes left uh, before the show should end, but we're actually going to go over another hour on the show. We, I set up another hour so we could stay on the phone and continue speaking, and the guest uh, in the chat room will stay with us here. Uh, I'm going to actually post a link where you go after, uh, I guess, uh, the show might end. I don't know if it'll, it'll play on the same channel, because I'm looking at the at the one that I just set up, and it kind of looks like it's the same chat room, so I'm, it might actually just stay here. Uh, but here, anytime I'm going to post a link for anybody out in the chat room here who wants to uh, continue to listen to this fascinating interview. Uh, and real quick, Jim, you know, getting back to the topic here that you wanted to speak about tonight, about, you know, famous... Uh, people that have actually seen UFOs or spoken about UFOs. Let's get back into that a little bit more. Can you give us a, a couple more names that you mentioned already uh, that you know have come out, re you know, maybe recently, uh, talk about their their experience with UFOs and uh, with their experience, you know, maybe abduction-wise or something like that. 
Sure. Let's let's take Edgar Mitchell. I think Edgar Mitchell is well known. He's a scientist. He's a doctor. He walked on another world. Uh, this guy is on all the time. You can turn on uh, YouTube. You can pull up 15 or 20 video clips of him talking on CNN, on uh, MSNBC. All right. Let's go over a couple of things Edgar Mitchell's talking about here with UFOs. These are quotes from Edgar Mitchell. We all know that UFOs are real. All we need to ask is where do they come from and what do they want. I've talked with people of stature, of military and government credentials and position, and heard their stories and their desire to tell stories openly in the public. And that got my attention very, very rapidly. The firsthand experiences of these credible witnesses that now, in advanced years, and anxious to tell their story, we can't deny it. And the evidence points to the fact that Roswell was a real incident and that indeed an alien craft did crash and the material was recovered from the crash site. The U.S. government hasn't maintained secrecy regarding UFOs. It's been leaking out all over the place. By the way, it's, it's handled in denial by denying the truth of the documents that have been leaked, by attempting to show them as fraudulent as bogus of some sort. There's been a very large disinformation and misinformation effort around this whole area, and one must wonder, how better to hide something out in the open than just to say, it isn't there? You're deceiving yourself if you think it's true, and yet it's right in front of us. So it's a disinformation effort that's, con that's concerning here, not to the fact that they've kept it secret. They haven't kept it secret. It's been getting out in the public for 50 years. I've been all over the years very skeptical like many others, but in the last 10 years or so, I've known the doc late Dr. Alan Hynek, who I highly admire. I know and currently work with Dr. Jacques Fall. I've come to realize that the evidence is building up to make this a valid and researchable question. Further, because my personal motivation has been to be better understand our universe, and my own theoretical work has convinced me that life is everywhere and the universe is permitted to evolve, I consider this a timely question. By becoming more involved with the serious research field, I've seen the UFO evidence mount towards the truth of these matters. I rely upon testimony of contacts that, have I, that I have had, old-timers, who were involved in official positions in government and intelligence and military over the last 50 years. We cannot say that today's government is covering up. I think that most of them don't know what is going on any more than the man in the street. Okay, and that was an, an interview with MSN in 1998. That was Edgar Mitchell. And you can find much more recent stuff from him. I mean, you can find him saying things like, yes, there have been ET visitations. The evidence points to the fact that Roswell was a real incident and that indeed an alien craft crashed and the materials and bodies were recovered. Okay, he said this recently on, uh, I've seen it on Fox News, I've seen it on CNN, right? Right out of and Edgar I Mitchell's mouth. When when was this uh, this comment made, or how long ago was it? A few days ago, or a month ago, or no, uh, last year sometime. Some of them, oh, some of these are as recent as last year. In fact, if you go to ufohq.org and you go to the vid link up at the top, you can see Edgar Mitchell. Uh, you can see I probably have five or six video clips of him on different news wires talking about these things. I have video of him. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, everybody, check check out the website uh, ufohq.org. Check that out and uh, check that uh, that info. That's a, that's amazing. I haven't heard that myself. Uh, in fact, we got three minutes left. There's going to be a song playing. It's going to be like a little break. We're going to take on the, after the three minutes. Uh, after the break, we're going to come back and stay on the line, uh, Jim. I want to you know continue talking to you. I'm fascinated by by the subject of ufology, and I, I you know I love speaking to you. I think you're definitely a man that everybody here in the chat room uh, wants to uh, continue here talk. So uh, so you're going to stay with me, correct? Jackal, thanks for having me on the show tonight. I sure had a great time, and it's really quite an honor to be here with you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So remember, once the music starts, 
Uh, we'll go on a little break for about four or five minutes, and then we're going to come back and continue talking to Jim Ames. Uh, but before we get to uh, to that break, uh, quick question. I had a question here from the room from Dominica Amore, or as I like to call her, Mi Amore. Uh, she had a question for you. What are the odds you think that a lot of these crafts uh, might be interdimensional travelers? Oh, that's something that the leading uh, theoretical scientists now believe is definitely possible. So if you go on to Google and you search in the Wikipedia and you look up M-brain theory or membrane theory or M-theory, okay, mm-hmm. you can use any of those terms. The current thought is that there are not four dimensions like we, we believe, you know, X, Y, Z in time, uh, but the current, the current holding is by all these leading theoretical physicists that there are, there are up to 11 dimensions, and some of these dimensions are uh, extremely tiny and might be intertwined and closely related to the other dimensions. And the thinking is now that our universe is not the universe. The thought is now is that there are many universes, there is a multiverse, and that they are all intertwined and interrelated. So definitely the concept of interdimensional travel is uh, coming into its own. The leading theoretical scientists believe that this is possible, and you can read all about it by searching M-theory or membrane theory or brain theory on Google or on Wikipedia. Yeah, in fact, it's funny. Uh, I was a big fan of the show Sliders. I don't know if you've ever seen that show uh, back yeah, in 95. And, and it, they talked about just about that, about interdimensional travel. And it's funny now, so many years later, after the show's already been in the air for a while, now it's be, that's becoming a real hot topic when it comes to uh, – People like, for example, you know, Zechariah Sitch and, you know, even his work has something to do with that. Uh, Dr. Mikaku is, you know, been speaking about that for the last 20 years, and he's become even more famous now because of the subject. Uh, and it seems like more and more scientists are kind of going towards this being not only a theory, but, you know, being a possibility of of being, you know, the theory. I mean, this is the one that actually is the real thing. Well, that professor that you just quoted, uh Calco, he says, in my mind, there is no question that they're out there. My career is well established. My textbooks are required reading in all of the major, capi- in all of the major capitals on planet Earth. If you want to become a physicist to learn about the unified field theory, you read my books. Therefore, I'm in a position to say, yes, most likely they're out there, perhaps even, perhaps even visited. Okay, that's what he's saying. Theoretically. Yeah, doc- doc- Dr. Kaku, uh, he's one of the few scientists who – is not afraid to talk about UFOs and about life out of the world. He's a brilliant mind. In fact, that's one of the guests I I would do anything on Earth, even so a child, if I had to, to get on my show. He's just a to fascinating be able to speak to man, an absolutely fascinating man. You know, oh, look yeah. at Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein, and you're talking about someone who was doing his work almost 100 years ago. Given the millions of billions of Earth-like planets, life elsewhere in the universe without a doubt exists. In the vastness of the universe, we are not alone, okay? Yep. So, you know, even he knew. No, and, it, and it's uh, it's funny. Uh, it just, uh, you know, it, it's really a funny, funny thing that, yeah, we're, we're not alone. A lot of people can, you know, say that, uh, that they believe that we're not alone. But the more that we actually do the, uh, the homework or the work, you know, scientifically, the more we're proven that, yeah, we're really not alone. It's becoming more and more clear, especially when we find, like, water on on the moon, and, you know, we were finding the elements everywhere. 
Well, and look, we found we found on, on Mars as well, okay? We found the ice under the subsurface uh, soil. We found ice there with our lander that we put there recently. You know, it's clear that water is prevalent throughout the universe. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. This is Cyanide, and I am now a voice inside the jackal's head. This is Jamie Havikin, and I cannot escape the jackal's head. This is Heavenly Angel, and I'm trapped in the jackal's head. Now, I'm a voice from the Jackal's Head, Dennis Crenshaw. This is the Oz Man, one of the voices in the Jackal's Head. <laughs> I am now a voice inside the Jackal's Head. And that was Lloyd Pye. <laughs> I'm Nick Pope, and now I'm a voice inside the Jackal's Head. This is Stephen Bassett, and uh, I am now a voice inside the Jackal's Head. I'm going to pass the reins to Mr. Jackal, the, the new king of radio.
thank you for uh, sticking around, guys, in the chat room. I appreciate it. Welcome, everybody, back to the show. Uh, Jim will be, I uh, guess, back with us uh, shortly here on the uh, line, and we'll continue on our interview with Jim Ames of UFOHQ.org. Uh, it's been a fascinating two hours so far. You know, he's a, a fascinating gentleman. He's really, really well-versed in, uh, in the knowledge of UFOs. In fact, I think I got him back on the line here. Jim, are you still there? Yes, Jacqueline, back on. Thank you for having me, sir. Not a problem, my friend. Not a problem. We have another 53 minutes. That's amazing. In fact, uh, this is the first time I do a three-hour gig here on, so that tells you how interested I am in talking to you and continuing to pick your brain about UFOs here. If- wow, that's fantastic, Jacqueline. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really having a good time with you tonight. Uh, you know, you're really an uh, excellent host. You have a lot of great questions. I uh, put on a fantastic show, and I'm really enjoying the time I'm spending with you here tonight, and hopefully the audience is getting a lot of good material. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. And I think they are, they, the uh, chat room has been a buzz uh, the, the whole night, so that's a, good, that's a good sign. In fact, I want to welcome a couple of new guys in the chat room, Dizini and uh, my, my friend Alejandro from Open Mind Radio. Welcome, guys, to the show, and hopefully you enjoy the, the last hour of the show here uh, with our good friend here, Jim Ames from UFOHQ.org. Fantastic website. If you guys have not seen his website, I'd suggest you uh, go check it out and uh, go ahead and, and put it in your favorites. It's a really cool website, and there's a lot of good stuff on there. Now, getting back to the topic at hand that we were talking about, uh, because, you know, the time flies when you're talking about the stuff. You know you know how they say time flies when you're having fun? Oh, this yeah. Is no fun for us. It's been like five <laughs> minutes for me. Exactly. See what I'm saying? And it's, only, and it's been two hours already. So, uh, you know, let's get back into this here. Now, we're, we're talking about interdimensional travelers being a possibility, and also, you know, Einstein's theory that correlates a lot with uh, Michio Kaku's theory. Uh, which, again, I am fascinated by the man, Mitchell Cocker. I think he's a brilliant mind. Now, do you think, and this, and this is uh, taking a, a little bit step further, do you think that maybe some of the aliens that are coming down here and some of the crafts that we're seeing are interdimensional travelers from parallel Earths that have you know, had similar evolutions, and they may be from a futuristic parallel Earth, but in another dimension. Yeah, very interesting question, and uh, you know a lot of the a lot of the things that you're asking about have actually been explored recently on uh, the Science Channel on the program The Universe. So if you can if you can tune into The Universe and look at some of the previous broadcasts, you can see some of what we're going to talk about uh, has been covered there, and they actually go into just that. They talk about how you know it's very possible that there isn't just one Earth and there isn't just one future. Future. They talk about how, and these are the leading theoretical minds of today. These are the, uh, just like we hold Mr. Einstein with such high regard, and we have, uh, you know, we have such a high degree of respect for him. Okay, those types of thinkers of today, what they believe is that all of the different possibilities exist simultaneously. So all of the different outcomes. So maybe you're going to work today and you have a flat tire. Well, in another parallel universe, in another parallel outcome, you got to work today problem-free. That flat tire didn't occur. And, you know, maybe you come home tonight and you ask your girlfriend to marry you, and she says yes. In another parallel universe, same thing happens. You come home, you ask your girlfriend to marry you, she says no. So the scientists think now that it's very possible that uh, there is a uh, multi-dimensional aspect to our existence and that all of these outcomes are occurring simultaneously and that all of the different permutations are, are actually happening with our counterparts elsewhere in another dimension. So it's, it's gone from science fiction 
30 or 40 years ago to instead of just being a flight of fancy, you know, this is what the leading physicists think now as far as how time and space really work. Now, the reason I bring that, that, that question up is because I personally don't think that time travel is possible in the sense that we can go forward and backwards in, in time. We can go to the future probably with if you, you know, get to the speed of light or you get close to the speed of light as Einstein theorized in his work. Uh, but regular time travel, I, would never, I don't think it's possible, but maybe interdimensional time travel. You know, and a lot of the uh, UFOs and reports that have been coming out in the last 50 years, uh, there's, there's, a few, there's some reports that say that the aliens are actually from the future uh, and they're from Earth. And that's why, you know, I made that question, could it, could it be that maybe they're from the future but from a parallel universe? Uh, and if that's the case, I mean, that's mind-boggling in itself. Okay, that's a very good question. So if you look at what their motives might be, and uh, we can actually take some of the events that have occurred recently, and we can tie this data together, we can do some analysis ourselves. So take your hypothesis there that maybe these people are coming from the future. Maybe they're coming, uh, you know, back to look at us. Take what uh, this Air Force officer, Robert Jacobs, I've got some information here on him. Uh, let me see if I can find that really quickly here. Uh, Bob Jacobs, he was on CNN recently. Uh, he was with Larry King. I have a segment on that. You can go right up to the vid room at ufohq.org, and you can see uh, U.S. Air Force Lieutenant Professor Robert Jacobs talk to Larry King, and he will describe to you an incident where he was working at the U.S. Air Force running the cameras for a very secret project to film missiles in flight. Uh, he had some uh, very exotic high-speed camera equipment to be able to track these missiles as they were uh, being put through their paces and exercises. And he says, so this thing fires a beam of light at the warhead, and it hits it, and then it moves to the other side, and it fires another beam of light, and the warhead tumbles out of space. What hmm. message would I interpret from that? The UFOs were telling us, don't mess with nuclear warheads. Mm -hmm. Major Mansman said, you are never to speak of this again. After an article about the incident years later, people would call and start screaming at me. One night, somebody blew up my mailbox. Okay, now that's uh, right out of the Disclosure Project, Stephen Greer's work, but that's Bob Jacobs, a UF Air Force officer. So, you know, is that one of their motives? Could the UFOs be traveling back in time to try to uh, help us avoid problems and say, look, you know, you don't want to be screwing around with the these nuclear missiles and nuclear bombs, this is not going to be a good outcome from you? Yeah, that, that might be one of the reasons they're, they're coming to Earth. I mean, there's certainly you know, an endless number of possibilities of why they would be visiting our planet. Uh, of course, you know, many people are going to theorize that you know, this or that or, or whatever. The, the, the great thing about the subject is that it's the, you know, the question of what if, what could be. Uh, do you think that... Uh, society as a whole would change drastically if we do have disclosure and uh, we do find out that these things are real. And, and you know, do you think that society will completely change the way they think and the way they are and the way they, they react to each other if we find out that we're not alone? I think there would be a lot of benefits overall. I mean, you know, they, it would be a shocking revelation for many aspects of society. For a lot of our more primitive cultures and less, you know, less well-educated cultures, uh, it would be an extremely difficult transition. You know, you're, it would be akin to your conversation that you had earlier, you know, with us, us trying to communicate with the ants or the ants trying to communicate with us. Um, but, you know, for our more well-educated aspects of 
society and uh, you know certainly a large part of the western hemisphere i think that it could put an end to war it could put uh us on a common path towards peace and and sharing our resources and really looking at being better stewards of the planet <laughs> and perhaps even trying to uh you know figure out a way to get us to the next point in our evolution you know the the earth isn't going to last forever and our solar system isn't going to last forever so if we want to continue as a species and if we want to uh make sure that you know when the earth time is up and and our sun's time is up that that humans don't end right there uh then we need to step outside this planet we need to be you know and we need to be in other solar systems we need to be in other galaxies certainly and you know, I think the only way that we're going to get that is uh, certainly with time, and it would be nice to have help from somewhere. Yeah, definitely. Well, if you believe a lot of uh, the theories, uh, we've already been helped plenty of times by these aliens, so it'll just be natural if you know if they come help us again. Of course, I'm talking about you know the work of Zachariah Sitchin being one of the uh, the theories that we were genetically enhanced by the Anunnaki who came from Nibiru and. I don't know if you know that entire story that Zechariah Sitchin, you know, supposedly uh, decoded from the Sumerian text, but it's a it's a fascinating subject if it was real. Uh, do you do you have any uh, knowledge of, of of this subject of Nibiru or anything that you might have come in contact with that you might want to share with everybody? So let's look at some statements from Major Robert White. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, here's Major Robert White has. I'm I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, uh, Al Warden. Let's take a look okay. at Al Warden. He has some statements right here. And the literal translation describes a very, very clearly a spacecraft with the ability to land and take off vertically. And it was an object that looked like the lunar module that we used on the moon. And if it's going to land vertically and take off vertically, it has to come from someplace and go back to someplace. Warden discussed his views that the Earth was probably visited in the past by extraterrestrial explorers. He began by commenting on the well-known UFO interpretation of the vision of the prophet Ezekiel in the Bible. In my mind, the universe has to be cyclical. So that in one galaxy, if there is a planet, maybe that has arrived at the point of becoming unlivable, you will find in another part of a different galaxy a planet that has just formed, which is perfect for habitation. I see some kind of intelligent beings, like us, skipping around the universe from planet to planet, let's say, as the South Pacific Indians do the islands, where they skip from island to island. Where the first island blows up due to a volcano, they will have their progeny on all of these islands, and they'll be able to continue the species. I think that's what the alien space program is all about. I think we may be a combination of creatures that were living here on Earth for some time in the past and having a visitation, if you will, by creatures from somewhere else in the universe and those two species getting together and having a progeny. I'm not at all convinced that we are not the result of that particular union in some many, some many thousands of years ago. If that is the case, a very small group of explorers could land on a planet and create successors to themselves that would eventually take up the pursuit of, let's say, inhabiting the rest of the universe. These are excerpts from his interview in the documentary The Other Side of the Moon, produced by um, Michael G. Lamb and broadcast by PBS in July 89. Al Warden was an Apollo 15 astronaut. Oh, wow, yeah. yeah. I mean, it doesn't get, uh, it doesn't get more professional or credible than that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He uh, he later went on to become a poet in life, but I mean, you you know, you're talking about people. You don't get to be an astronaut by accident, okay? You have to be a brilliant mind. You have to be on the top of your game. You know, typically, uh, not always, but typically, you're out of the military and you're in the top form, 
And so these these people are highly credible. They are uh, well educated, and they already have their place in history. And they have no reason to say these types of things, uh, you know, unless it's what they really feel or they think, or you know, it's what they believe. Now, do you think that the cover-up is uh, that's going on in the whole you know UFO field? Do you think this is something that is starting to break in some some of the countries out here uh, that are starting to slowly to leak information? Do you think that they, there's countries that really want to go on with disclosure and they really want to go ahead and get this out to the public? Uh, who, what do you who do you think is holding back the disclosure? Uh, okay, uh, so so that's really great. I I think a lot of great things are happening right now. Okay, it's a it's really a new era of UFO disclosure. We have very exciting things happening. If you look at the document releases that have occurred recently, you know, a lot of countries have jumped on board. They've released documents to the public. Now, have they released all of their documents? We don't know, but they have released a significant cache of documents. The countries that have been very cooperative in this regard, the United Kingdom, you know, that's very high profile. You can go into the uh, National Archives of the United Kingdom. You can see almost every document that they've released. Uh, other countries that are leaders in this area, Canada, France, Brazil, Denmark, Sweden, Argentina, Ecuador, Russia, they've all released significant historical archives of UFO information. They put it on the Internet. They put it out there for people to see and for them to make their own decisions. Um, this is a, a huge step. It would be great if the United States government could get on board. Now, on the website, you can find every document, links to every document that the United States government has released over time. Uh, you know, most of this consists of files from the FBI, uh, CIA, NSA. These are Freedom of Information Act releases. Uh, of course, you can find the entire archives of the blue books up there that are text searchable. Uh, but, but really, you know, the United States is, is not doing a great job at getting the UFO information out. We've had a lot of promises by different presidents over time. Uh, most recently, during his campaign in Barack Obama, he promised to, you know, do what he could to release UFO information. Uh, I, I think probably the other uh, challenges that he's facing are probably realistically, you know, what he should be focusing on. Uh, but it would be nice to see him carry through on his promise and and deliver something in that regard. Yeah, of course, you know, his hands are going to be tied regardless if he even tries to release some of the information. Uh, you know, the powers that be will keep it a secret, I guess, for as long as they possibly can. Uh, did you find it funny when uh, they asked, uh, I think it was Bob Kashinik, I think that's how you pronounce his name, about his alien encounter or his uh, UFO encounter, how everybody laughed as soon as they said, so, uh, Mr. Kashinik, have you seen a UFO? Did you, do you remember seeing that when they, uh, they were doing the, uh, the presidential election, when they were doing the debates? Yeah, you know, I, I always find it interesting when these public it's officials funny, are, yeah. are are dismissive or or they laugh, you know. But some of the public officials, uh, fortunately, they take it a bit more seriously and they're 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 more forthcoming. You know, look at uh, some of our United States presidents. All right, there were there were presidents that did a better job in this. Jimmy Carter, for instance. You know. Oh yes. Okay, now he he was not. Uh, he's there's no question that Jimmy Carter is a brilliant man. Uh, he's a wonderful humanitarian. He was leading our country at a very difficult time economically. He had a lot of challenges, and really at the time he didn't get the respect he deserved and probably wasn't at that time held in the uh, high regard that he's held today. But, you know, his statements on UFOs, I don't laugh at people anymore when they say they've seen UFOs. 
And it was the darnest thing I've ever seen. It was big, it was bright, it changed colors, and it was about the size of the moon. We watched it for 10 minutes, but none of us could figure out what it was. One thing's for sure, I'll never make fun of people who say they've seen a UFO. If I become president, I'll make every piece of information this country has about UFO sightings available to the public and scientists. <laughs> now, clearly he wasn't able to follow through on that, uh, but he, you know, I think he meant well, right? He's a five-time nominee for the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, a brilliant, brilliant man. Uh, he doesn't laugh down the UFOs. Gerald Ford, another guy who's not laughing about UFOs. I, again, you know, probably served our country at a difficult time. Um, didn't get a lot of respect back when he was president, you know, just coming out of the, the Nixon years. Uh, Ford said, no doubt, you have noted the recent flurry of newspaper stories about UFOs. I've taken special interest in these accounts because many of the latest reported sightings have been in my home state of Michigan, because I think there may be substance to some of these reports, and because I believe the American people are entitled to a more thorough explanation than has been given by the Air Force to date. I'm proposing that the, either the science and astronautics committee or the armed service committee of the house schedule hearings on the subject of ufos and invite testimony from both the executive branch of the government and some of the persons who claim to see ufos and i am in the firm belief that the american public deserves a better explanation than thus far given by the air force and i strongly recommend the committee investigate ufo phenomena i think we owe it to the people to establish credibility regarding ufos and produce the greatest possible enlightenment on the subject and that was a letter he sent to a congressman uh, actually, the chairman of the Armed Services Committee, on, and he sent that on March 28, 66, uh, before his actual tenure as president. But, you know, a, a forward thinker and a public official and somebody, you know, that wasn't treating the situation as a joke. No, definitely. Everybody, just uh, to recap, uh, I'm here with Jim Ames from UFOHQ.org. For some of the new members in the chat room, and, you know, in case they just joined up and joined in and they have no idea who I'm talking to, is Jim Ames from UFOHQ.org. Now, yeah, it, it's uh, it's true. It, it's funny the uh, the statements that are coming out of, of, from a lot of the uh, pre ex presidents. The most uh, recent president that really uh, I think touched on the subject and kind of got laughed at was Bill Clinton. He was very interested in the subject of UFOs. Uh, he even said that he was going to dig deep, deep into trying to find out exactly what happened. And then of course he came out with a statement saying, "Hey, if they if they uh, knew something, they sure didn't tell me." Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. What he, he, in fact, his exact statement was, you know, there are two things I want to know. I want to know who killed John Kennedy, and I want to know all about UFOs, and I'm going to find out, and I'm going to tell you. And uh, so, you know, who knows what he ever found out, but he sure didn't share it with us. But, you know, there have been, yeah. a, lot of, there have been a lot of other high-profile people that have said incredible things, uh, people that, you know, historical figures, J. Edgar Hoover, uh, you know, a very, very famous, okay, director of the FBI, very oh, well yes. known. He said, I would uh, aid the Army Air Force in its investigations, but before agreeing to it, we must insist upon full access to the disc recovered. For instance, in the Los Angeles case, the Army grabbed it and would not let us have it for cursory examination. Now, this was from a handwritten notation at the bottom of a now declassified memo, okay? And they don't know whether L.A. stands for uh, Los Alamos or Los Angeles. They're really not clear on that. But <clears throat> this is a Freedom of Information Act document, okay, declassified. That's J. Edgar Hoover's handwritten notations, right? He probably never meant for that to see the light of day. He wasn't trying to report that to the public. But, he, you know, it sure shows that he took UFOs and the whole situation seriously. No, yeah, it's, it's clear he took it seriously. I mean... You know, a lot of these uh, 
these figureheads and these you know these people in power are taking it seriously. The the problem is the media still creates a giggle factor when it comes to ufology or UFOs, and it's uh, unfortunately something that even until today it's still prevalent in in the, the media. I mean, you see reports on the news all the time when they show uh, UFOs or sightings or whatever, and you see the newscasters laughing and giggling. Oh yeah, they're it's, always it's a shame. they're it's always, a shame. always smirking and raising their eyebrows. Yeah. And I, I think it goes right back to what we talked about earlier, full circle to Project Blue Book. You know, the, the, real, uh, the real effort there was to discredit the, the people that reported the UFOs, to explain them away as swamp gas and weather balloons and uh, ball lightning or, you know, whatever other crazy thing that they could come up with for anything that was uh, sighted in the sky that was unexplainable. Yep. And unfortunately, that entire mentality has uh, persevered to this day, and nobody wants to take it seriously in the media. Nobody wants to uh, do a serious investigative report. You know, you have that guy on whatever show he's on, uh, you know, looking for predators, right? If they could get mm -hmm. that guy to start researching UFOs and take the seriousness topically, we might... You know, take the topic so seriously, we might make some progress. But uh, until then, yeah, until then, uh, listen. Uh, just to let everybody know in the chat room, Seth is actually going to be on the uh, show tomorrow. He, I got in contact with him when we were on break, uh, so he's going to be on the show tomorrow. So we have 32 minutes remaining on the show. Anybody who wants to call in with any questions uh, for Jim, please do so. The number here is three four seven two zero five nine nine six one. I'm opening the lines now for the rest of the show. Uh, with 30 minutes left, if anybody has any questions for you, please call in and let Jim know. Uh, you know, getting back here to to the subject uh, they were talking about, it's it's uh it's incredible when you really wrap your mind around uh, the amount of conspiracies that have been built up just to keep this a secret, to keep it covered up. I mean, when the whole thing actually you know comes unravel and disclosure does happen, do you think there's any chance that people might be persecuted and uh, maybe even charged with uh, with lying and defrauding the entire you know United States of American population uh, when it comes to the subject of UFOs. You think there might be some kind of lawsuit or litigation that might be the reason why a lot of these government officials or government uh, behind the scenes don't want this to be released because of some sort of litigation action that the people might take because this is really the fraud of the of the millennium if they're keeping this under wraps. You know that's a that's an excellent point. Okay, these these people certainly don't want to be caught up in any kind of high-profile uh, public trials or investigations into things that they've said in the past or claims that they've made uh, with regard to uh, you know UFOs being fake and the ridicule that has been piled on anybody that tried to make a serious effort to dig into this situation. So so yeah, I, I definitely think in the future as more information comes out uh, and we do get better disclosure. Uh, and perhaps as, as facts are revealed, maybe not even by the United States government, but by other governments, uh, you know, it could create problems for our previous and current public officials. You know, you have, you have people that have come out and really said incredible things. Uh, they've written books about it, and they've been discredited and had their name besmirched even after their death. You look back at Philip Corso, uh, a brilliant man, an army officer, uh, somebody who served his country with an unblemished record, and oh, he, yes, you know, he went on to write his book the day after Roswell. You know, there's no question he didn't write it by himself. He had some good help there. But you look at the the foreword in that book, you know, written by Cinder Strom Thurmond, 
all right, and the accolades that he had for Corso and the things that he said about him. Now, now Thurman's uh, foreword for the book had nothing to do with the subject matter. It was really just praise for Corso. But, you, you know, when you, when you look at the type of man he was and the accomplishments that he had and the things that he dealt with in the Army, the claims that he makes in that book are incredible, right? And, yeah, again, you have to look, why would he say those things? Why would he try to publicize that at the 11th hour, you know, when he knew that he was getting old and he wasn't going to live much longer? Why would he come out and do this? Um, you know, was there... Was it financial gain? Was it fame? You know, why would well, at that point, that? at that point, neither one of those th- two things are important. I mean, if you're at an age where you're, you know, you know, you're going to die soon anyway. I mean, financial gain and fame are the least that things are going through your mind. I believe. I, I think you're right about that, Jackal. Yeah. And and you know, he said, "Let there be no doubt." Alien technology harvested from the saucer crafts in Waswell led, led directly to the development of the integrated circuit, laser, and fiber optics. Particle beams, electromagnetic propulsion systems, depleted uranium, stealth capabilities, and others. He says, how do I know that? I was in charge. He said, uh, I think the kids on this planet are wise to the truth, and I think we ought to give it to them. I think they deserve it. Now, in, in all fairness uh, to being impartial and objective, you know, there's, there's no question that you can go and you can research the uh, development of the integrated circuit, laser, fiber optics, night vision. Uh, you, can, you can go look at all of that, and you can see the brilliant minds and the scientists who contributed to that and who made those technologies possible. But what we don't know is, was some of that ceded to them? Did they get some help behind the scenes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, did, uh, did, did Corso and his agency and the different people that he was affiliated with provide them with, uh, with some kind of catalyst to get them going in that direction so that they could further their developments and, and make it possible? And I don't... I don't think that we'll. I don't think we'll know in our lifetime and have the truth, but you know I think it's very interesting that Corso wrote that book and told the story that he told. Uh, again, you know, I think there's no way for us to to know what the truth will be. Well, we'll never really know the entire truth anyway. So it's uh, unfortunate, and it's one of those unfortunate things that we really would never know the entire truth to this uh, subject. Uh, but it's fun to speculate. It's fun to talk about. It. It's fun to continue to ask, you know, what's out there? Uh, what if, you know, what's the, well, you know, what is this person thinking about when they put these kind of statements on, you know, out there in the public? You know, what's behind the scenes? It, all these things are fun subjects to talk about. Uh, the best thing about this whole thing is, you know, the, the and the really not the best thing, but I think the most credible people that you can look at when it comes to UFO, to the UFO and you know phenomenon uh, would be the abduction cases. The people who've actually, you know, had implants put in them. These are the people that we really should be looking more at, uh, and you know, investigating more. You know, there's a lot of great work being done when it comes to regression and hypnosis and stuff. I have to get some of the information out there. Uh, some of these celebrities that you put in, in your, that you speak about, uh, have any of them done any hypnosis and gotten regression and maybe found out that they were abducted themselves? Yeah, that that's really an area that uh, is pretty fascinating. You know, you look at the work of like some of the great minds, like uh, I guess Whitley Strieber and and people like that, and you know the other the other greats in that field that they're doing to to go and uh, do the hypnosis and the regressions and uh, you know try to I guess recover memories from people that claim they have been abducted. You know, a lot of well documented cases of people claiming that uh, they had missing time. 
you know, probably starts with uh, Betty and Barney Hill, and, yep. and and that's one of the most well-known, famous cases, and there are many, many others. Um, it, again, it's one of those things that, you know, you look at the motives of the people, you look at how many people are saying it, uh, you know, you start to believe that there must be some truth to it, that, you know, that... And it's not hard to imagine that if these people were coming here, if these uh, aliens from from other dimensions or other galaxies were coming here, it's not hard to imagine they would be curious about us, that they would want to, you know, maybe take a couple of people and check their biology and, and look at their blood chemistry and their DNA and, uh, you know, maybe even follow that up periodically. So yeah, it, make, it makes sense. That's what we do when we go to the jungle. We get animals and from the wild and we tag them and, we release them back into their into their environment. The same exact scenario is just it's happening to us, and people, you know, they get scared that it's an abduction, and they get scared of the thought that you know what's going on, what's happening to them. But if you think about the animal kingdom and how we do this to animals ourselves, uh, it, it eases you up a little bit because you you know it puts everything into more of a perspective uh, than normally it would be, and it, we really are not in the same category when it comes to the food chain as these beings that are coming down here and abducting people. Uh, it, it's fascinating. It, the, the whole abduction phenomenon and, you know, people that get the implants uh, taken out of them, that, that to me is the most fascinating subject in ufology, in this realm or in this entire uh, phenomenon. Yeah, and I don't, I don't recall the uh, specific name of the of the one that I saw recently on History Channel, but there was um, a scientist and he was profiling uh, a supposed abductee who had an implant, and they actually were able to locate this implant, and while they were trying to surgically remove the implant from this guy, the, the implant was moving around and exhibiting evasive behavior. Uh, it also had electromagnetic characteristics prior to being surgically removed, and all of these electromagnetic characteristics subsided and no longer persisted after the removal. So, you know, I don't think it's something that could be discounted or something that should be dismissed. You know, I don't. You know, you look at what we do with uh, salmon or, or what we do with you know whales and uh, other animals and tagging them and tracking them and with telemetry and things like that. Yeah. I don't think it's out of the realm at all. No, you know, look, definitely not. Look what the Vatican is saying on it. Okay, so, you know, you you look at the people from the Vatican people who a few hundred years ago were persecuting and prosecuting scientists for saying things like, hey, the, uh, you know, the, the Earth is not the center of the universe, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, people that are pretty hard-nosed uh, when it comes to their views, okay, you have people at the Vatican now saying that it's okay to believe in extraterrestrials, okay? The chief astronomer at the Vatican says, hey, the notion that there could be other forms of intelligent life doesn't contradict our faith. And in an interview with the Vatican newspaper entitled The Extraterrestrial is My Brother, the Jesuit director of the Vatican Observatory, uh, Gabriel Furness, said that ruling out the existence of aliens would be like putting limits on God's creative freedom. Now, furthermore, uh, another gentleman at the Vatican made some very interesting statements on the uh, Vatican television, in fact, five times, all right, uh, made these statements on, on TV in Italy. He said extraterrestrial contact is a real phenomenon. The Vatican is receiving much information about extraterrestrials and their contacts with humans from its embassies in very, various countries such as Mexico, Chile, and Venezuela. Right? And this guy is the uh, Vatican theological insider that was close to the Pope, uh, Monsignor Balducci. All right? Oh, yes, I've heard of him. Yes, yes. 
Yeah, so, you know, uh, again, this, this guy at the Vatican isn't trying to make a name for himself. He's not trying to, uh, you know, get fame or fortune. That's certainly not, you know, his objective in life. You know, he's, he's sharing information that he has. Well, of course, you know, the churches have to also say face because it's becoming more and more clear, like I said earlier, every day that, that you know, we are not alone out there. So, I mean, they have to say face and say face and save their faith, I guess you could also say, because, uh, you know, that's the big question. If, you know, disclosure does happen and UFOs are real and aliens are real, what would happen to religion at that point? You know, will religion go away? Where, will, you know, will religions be able to survive after that? So I think them coming out and saying, well, yeah, you know, we do give uh, an opening for the possibility of aliens being out there because it's part of God's creation, uh, that kind of gives them an out, an out clause. So the religious get continue to pump uh, you know, to do their thing, even after disclosure happens. Uh, and in fact, the, the, the Vatican has a huge amount of, uh, of money invested in telescopes and other equipment to, you know, view the stars, to be able to do their own studies and their own experiments that have nothing to do with NASA or with any other government out there. So God knows what they're seeing that, you know, that we're not privy to uh, because of the simple fact that, you know, they're not telling anybody, and of course they don't have to tell anybody that it's their telescopes. Who do they have to tell? Sure. I mean, they're under no obligation to, to tell what they see, and, and there's no telling what they found. And, and you know, when you, when you look at religion, uh, that becomes a very interesting question. Uh, when you boil religion down and you, you strip away all of the dogma and you take away uh, all of the, the ritual, it's really about a set of rules for us to live by, every religion. Yes. And, and pretty much all of them have a common base respect people, you know, don't kill, don't steal, you know, those types of things. Wouldn't it be interesting if those were guidelines that have been given to us early on to help us mature as a species? Ah, that they would make perfect sense, actually, yes. That would make perfect sense, especially since, of course, you know, as a lot of people know, the Bible and a lot of these books are nothing more than translations from the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Egyptian Book of the Dead, and, you know, much, much, much older older, older books. Uh, so, you know, it's very possible that those books originally were given to man by extraterrestrials. Uh, of course, the question, who built the pyramids? Oh, you know, the pyramids are a fascinating topic. When you start looking a, at exactly. the, you start looking at some of the incredible so-called coincidences with the, the pyramids, their alignment not only uh, to the, you know, the, you know, their polar alignment on the Earth, but their alignment with uh, different celestial constellations, uh, and just the sheer magnitude of the project and the engineering that went into it and the amount of time and effort and, and mathematics that were involved to make those things happen. You know, you re the first thing you have to wonder is, why? Why would they expend all of that time and effort? And really, the, I think the only good answer you can come up with there is that you wanted a monument that would withstand the test of time, right? Mm -hmm. They wanted. In, in fact, didn't they carbon date? Uh, sorry to cut you off. Didn't they carbon date the? Uh, I think the pyramids are the sinks not too long ago, and it was thousands of years older than they even predicted before. Not only that, it was much older than even the Egyptian civilization itself. Yes, I recall that as well. Yes, that was a recent finding. Uh, that the, I believe this. I think you're completely right on the money with that. The Sphinx predated the pyramids. And uh, it actually created a bit of an enigma and a mystery there. Yeah, in case anybody doesn't understand how they could carbon date uh, the Sphinx, 
the, re the way they do this is by actually the erosion around the Sphinx itself. That erosion will tell you how long ago it was that it had water around it. Of course, it's been, you know, a very long time since water was in Egypt. As you know, now it's just a desert. So for there to have been water erosion on there uh, tells you that this thing is, you know, very, very old. And if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was like 30,000 years or something like that, or 20,000 years before even the Egyptians showed up in, in war civilization. So who built these pyramids? Where did they come from? Were, you know, the gods of antiquity or the gods of the Bible really extraterrestrials that came to Earth? Like the Zechariah Sitchins and, you know, these people say uh, of Nibiru and the Anunnaki, could that have been who seeded life on Earth? Could our God be an alien? Sure enough, if an alien ship comes down from the heavens, you know, five, ten thousand 10,000 years ago, 20,000 years ago, and finds, you know, man that is still ignorant and doesn't understand, uh, you know, what aliens are, the concept of life on other planets, or even the fact that we're in a planet that is round, for that matter, uh, they will be seen surely as gods coming down from the heavens in a ship. Uh, Ezekiel's wheel, for example, could very easily be translated into a UFO. Uh, you know, the, the burning bush in the Bible, that could easily be a you know, UFO in between some bushes that, you know, somebody saw and it thought it was a burning bush. Right, just the whole story, you know, when you look at, you know, Moses went up to the mountain, uh, secluded himself, and was, he received the, the commandments from God, not ten of them, by the way, many more than that. All right, we just wound up with ten today for some reason, but, you know, that just that whole story on its face uh, is very, very interesting when you just look at it from a, just a scientific perspective. Like when you strip, strip away the religion and you, you know, you just examine that story, a man went to the mountain and was given commandments to live by, and they were handed down by a god. Very interesting. Very interesting, especially the fact that uh, this guy never became, you know, you know, the, the, you know, the, the guy never became visible to uh, to Moses. So he, he all he saw was a burning bush or whatever. But the most the most fascinating thing about that is when he comes down out of the mountain, his hair had turned colored, had turned white. Right. He Could actually underwent a physical underwent a tr physical transformation as a result of the experience. Couldn't radiation do that to him? We certainly know that, that, that radiation has uh, physiological effects. So it's, uh, yeah, maybe the radiation from the craft is what actually you know did that to uh, to his hair. Right, there's no telling. And you know, it's not just the pyramids uh, that are mysterious. You can actually go all around the world and you can find ancient structures uh, oh, yeah. that are that are without explanation completely, like Pumapunku. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. That that's one that that doesn't really get enough publicity. Uh, incredible series of stone monoliths and mm -hmm. interlocking blocks with the most amazing precision and detail uh, with regard to how they were carved out. And you know, this this thing is uh, they they're dating it back like seventeen, eighteen thousand years. You know, where did these people get this engineering knowledge? You know, th these people. Uh, supposedly didn't even have writing, okay? How did they communicate to, to create these structures, to do the planning, right? Where did they get the tools to work these stones? Now, some of these stones are uh, can only be worked with diamond because they're so hard. Mm -hmm. So uh, these, these types of mysteries are prevalent throughout the ancient world. Yeah, it's funny. I saw a special on that in, uh, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And that blew me away. As soon as they showed footage of the actual stones and the size of these things, amazing. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's impossible to think that man at that time period 
could build such a thing. I mean, I just I, I can't conceive it. And the pyramids themselves, I mean, it, I think it's nearly impossible. You would have to set one stone, which I, it's how many tons per stone, but you have to set one stone every 29 seconds for, what was it, 29 years or for 30 years or something like that just to build a pyramid. And, and imagine, That's amazing. Imagine the incredible infrastructure that they would have to have in place to support that. Yes. Okay, the kitchens, um, you know, the, the dormitories, whatever types of facilities they would need no, to have even... manpower. Not only that, not only that, the manpower plus the the main theory of how they, they might have done this is that they rolled the, the, the large boulders in kind of like, a, I guess it would be kind of trees or or, cut, or tree or bamboo sticks or bamboo trees, I guess they cut down. Just getting their bamboo sticks or trees to roll the boulders up uh, to up the ramp up to the pyramid, just that alone, getting those things to, to Egypt from Africa, which is supposedly where they got them from, uh, is more work than I think any shipment has ever had in the history of the planet. That would take in a, a massive amount of shipment to come from Africa all the way to Egypt just to be able to do that kind of a project. It's it's nearly unheard of. Uh, today we don't have any kind of, uh, of business or any kind of industry that actually ships that much material, you know, for any kind of construction job. So imagine that in the Egyptian time period. It's just nearly impossible for to even conceive that man actually did that at that, at that time period. The math is just completely against it. The mathematics just does not work that they were alone. It, it just, it's impossible. I mean, it, there has to have been some kind of a guiding force or some kind of a, of, a, of a helping hand for them to be able to build these things. It's just it's inconceivable that they were able to do it by themselves, considering the task. And another fascinating uh, fact with regard to pyramids is why are pyramids and those types of structures prevalent throughout the ancient societies on continents that are geographically dis- diverse, where the people had no means to communicate with each other. Right. You know, that's 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 another question that is very difficult to answer. Exactly. Yeah, to set up that kind of shipment from one place to the other, you'd have to have you know constant communication. Then they didn't have the internet or phones back then. You know, <laughs> I don't think that uh, flying a, a message on a bottle or or on a bird or something is going to get the message across fast enough for you to be able to do some kind of shipment transaction like that. It just doesn't work mathematically for anybody. And, in fact, in that day, most people uh, could not read or write. You know, that was something yeah. that was something that was held to the scribes and the learned people, okay? They were, they were seen as almost mystics themselves for their ability to uh, comprehend reading and writing, you know, back in those days. So... A lot of questions there when you start talking about ancient archaeology. Uh, you start, you know, trying to demystify, you know, why did they build the pyramids? How did they construct them? Where did they get the labor force? And, you know, how were they able to feed them? And, and how were they able to plan it all and come up with blueprints and, you know, go cut the stone and, and you know, work it and get it to the, to the point? It's just amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's one of those stories that really makes no sense. If you if you don't inject you know a, a helping hand into it, it just it's inconceivable for people to be able to do that kind of a project back then. Uh, listen, Jim, we only have ten minutes left on the show here. Uh, I want to you know let everybody know if they still want to call in. The numbers uh, are still three four seven two zero five nine nine six one. Open lines for the last ten minutes still with uh, Jim Ames of UFOHQ.org. Again, a fantastic website. Uh, Jim, before you know, we end the show, I do want to you know, take some calls, like I said, if anybody has any questions for you. Uh, but since we only have a few minutes left, I want to get to the end of the show also, which is I do this in every show. It's called the Jackal's Final Five. 
It's my final five questions to you, my personal final five questions to you. Uh, and then, of course, you know, if anybody calls in, they'll ask their questions. But are you ready, my friend? Go right ahead, sir. I am ready. All right, number five. And since we're on the topic of ufology, this has uh, kind of a UFO connection. Number five here, Star Trek. The Star Trek shows, which one is your favorite throughout history? Why? Oh, there's no question. Uh, my favorite one would be The City on the Edge of Forever. Ah, oh, that's an awesome episode, yes. Yeah, and that's a classic Star Trek. So basically, plot synopsis is, is uh, a gentleman on the bridge has some kind of inj- injury during uh, uh, time-space displacement, and uh, Bones is called up to the bridge to, to treat him, and he treats him with uh, a very exotic drug, and during a space-time displacement, he inadvertently injects himself with an overdose of this drug, and uh, it brings on a temporary insanity, and he goes down and uh, beams himself down to the planet that they're orbiting where they had detected these space-time displacements, and uh, winds up visiting the Guardian of Forever and traveling back in time, and then Kirk and Spock actually have to go back in time, uh, and they actually have to repair the, the space-time continuum by uh, allowing a, a woman to die instead of living, actually McCoy screwed up the whole history timeline by saving this woman from a car accident. And uh, so I, I think the reason that that's my favorite Star Trek is because there was really a lot of imagination on the part of the writers. I mean, they really went all out with their imaginations in coming up with the Guardian of Forever, uh, with the whole concept of the machine that could play back time and allow you to travel through time, um, and just their whole idea of the different, you know, paradoxes that they came up with uh, that, that had to be solved, it was fascinating. So, you know, kudos to Roddenberry and, and his entire crew. And obviously, uh, I don't know if that was a DC Fontana episode, but, you know, Dorothy Fontana was uh, clearly one of the best minds of Star Trek, you know, up there with Roddenberry, and I, I love it. Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite episodes, too. Great pick. <laughs> uh, it's funny, it's amazing the technologies we've seen today and then, you could pretty much say they came right out of Star Trek, like, you know, cell phones, flip-flops, cell phones, or uh, even computer laptops and things like that all came out of Star Trek. It's amazing. Now, number four here, uh, since they sort of kind of messed up the actual things that happened in the original Fire in the Sky movie uh, with Travis Walton, do you think there should be a remake to Fire in the Sky, and, and when do you think it should uh, happen, if you do think there should be one? Sure, I'm always for a remake when they mess things up. I think sometimes uh, they get it right the second time around. So definitely, I would I would be open to a revisit of the Travis Walton, and uh, you know, hopefully, we get a good director and a good cast, and they'll they'll do it the right way. Perfect. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. Number three, did you ever watch the Alien Copsy video? And if so, uh, what are your thoughts, real or fake, or real fake? Okay, so sure, I saw the Alien Autopsy. Uh, fascinating. Very good entertainment. Um, you know, it's been picked apart on the Internet at various places, including uh, one of my favorite sites, Above Top Secret. Okay. Probably fake. Uh, again, it's one of those things that's very hard to say. You know, I thought it was pretty good quality. I, You know, back when it was made, back when it was shown, it was very entertaining subject matter. Um, thrilling to watch. You know, again, my gut is it's probably fake. Probably. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice though, if it was real? It would be terrific. Yeah. And uh, number two here, uh, 
do you think it's an advantage or disadvantage that technology is getting so good now that anybody can pretty much hoax UFO videos? Uh, do you think it's an advantage because it makes people work harder uh, to actually, you know, find the real UFO videos, or do you think it's a disadvantage in doing more harm than anything else to the entire field of ufology? Yeah, I think it's a real problem, and I think it actually does a lot more harm because now anybody with a computer, uh, any, uh, like, for instance, you don't even need sophisticated stuff. If you have a good Macintosh computer, you can download free software, and you can go in and you can hoax up your own videos, and yep. you can make it really, really compelling. In fact, even for your iPhone, you can download a UFO application for your iPhone that will put UFOs right in the picture, and they look pretty darn good. Okay, oh, man. Now, and that's a, I think that's a free app for the iPhone, and so you can go out and look for that. It puts the UFO right in the picture. It's a big problem because, you know, then what you have to get into is you have to get into serious frame-by-frame analysis, and you have to start looking at all of the other uh, ancillary behaviors uh, in physical aspects around the UFO, you know, in other words, is, the, is it over water? Um, is the water being distorted by the air pressure wave? You know, it, real, it re- really uh, puts a bigger burden, I think, on the UFO researchers, and it's, uh, it's a detriment. So, you know, and that, I'm a big fan of technology. Technology is great for everything that it does, but with regard to how it's screwing up uh, UFO research, I'm not that happy. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And the final question here of the night, did you enjoy your time inside my head? <laughs> Let me tell you, Mr. Jackal, I was thrilled to be inside your head for darn near two hours. I've had a great time on the show. Uh, it's been quite an honor to be here. Really enjoyed uh, speaking with you and your team, and I certainly hope that uh, I'll be invited back for some for some time in the future. Definitely. We definitely have to have you back on the show. You're, like I said, you're a fascinating guest. I love your work on the website. I uh, wish you nothing but the best of luck in the future. And you definitely have to come back, man. You're welcome on the show anytime. If you want to plug anything, by all means, we have a few minutes left. Plug away. Give everybody your website address, anything uh, else you want to plug. Go for it. The floor is yours. Okay. Wow, Jackal. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks for a great time. Uh, I guess the first thing I want to plug is DisclosureProject.org. If you don't know about DisclosureProject.org, you need to go over there and have a good look at that. Uh, you might want to also watch the movie Out of the Blue. Uh, or check out Moon Rising. Those are all on YouTube. You can easily find those. You'll be entertained and informed. Um, you know, as far as my website, ufohq.org, that's not my website. That belongs to the UFO community. The information there is not my content. It comes from over 100 bloggers. It comes from Twitter. It comes from uh, UFO Clearinghouse. It comes from uh, the UFO Stalker. So you can send an email to newsflash at ufohq.info. That will be posted to the website automatically within one hour. You can send anything about a UFO on Twitter. That will be posted automatically. Uh, That's your UFO site for the UFO community. You guys use that, enjoy that. That's your forum. Uh, Anything you want to see there, you can email me at ufohqs at gmail.com. Uh, certainly welcome to any suggestions for content, for material, for new features. We have video chat. We have live voice chat. We have IRC chat. Uh, there's a huge library up there with all kinds of facts and documents, 75 research organizations, uh, all kinds of speculative documents, every government document. We have all of the UFO videos from the astronauts. You know, Anything you guys want up there, don't hesitate to let me know, ufohqs at gmail.com. Awesome, perfect. Jim, again, thank you so much for taking part on the show tonight and spending two hours here with us. It's uh, been my honor and my pleasure. You're a fascinating gentleman, and I, I love picking your brain for two hours. And 
you must come back, my friend. You have to come back. You're a friend of the show now, so whenever you want to come back and you have anything to plug, call me or let me know. Thank you, Jackal. Thanks for a great time tonight. Uh, you were a fantastic host with a great show. I had a great time, and I'm looking forward to my next uh, stay inside your head. <laughs> Salutations and greetings, and good night, my friend, and uh, wish you the best. Uh, we have a minute left uh, on the show here, guys, so I'm going to go ahead and just uh, play a little music and and uh, take the rest of the time to just meditate and think about what we learned tonight, uh, what we heard tonight. We heard a fascinating gentleman, Jim Ames, fascinating man. Thanks, Jack. Well, have a great night. Take care, sir. Well, that was awesome. Awesome, awesome guest. If you guys uh, want to have uh, Mr. Ames on your show as a guest, give him a call. Go, ahead, go to his website, email him, any uh, the host out here who want to get him on the show. Uh, he's a fascinating gentleman. As you can tell, uh, he stayed uh, an extra hour, which is really great of him, and I really do appreciate it. I want to thank everybody in the chat rooms. Uh, before uh, I get off from, uh, off the show here, I want to thank everybody from, you see, Davini who made it out tonight, Alejandro who made it out tonight, Mike Miller made it out tonight, Paranormal 51, thank you, buddy, for coming out. Uh, my friend Cyanide, my homie, thank you for coming out tonight. Uh, Archaeologic, thank you for coming out tonight. I really do appreciate it. Uh, all my other friends from the other websites that are listening to the show that are, you know, tuning in as a guest, uh, thank you for coming out tonight. I span my show all over the Internet. Uh, so it's it's awesome to see that some of that is working. I'm getting a lot of guests on here. Thanks, everybody, for showing up. Tomorrow we're going to have another great show for you. Uh, in fact, I'm going to maybe do a four-hour show tomorrow. How's that? Hmm? Interesting, huh? Well, tune in tomorrow. <laughs>